Hi, I'm David Clark, and you're listening to Glory Days of Gold. Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. everybody and welcome to another episode of Glory Days of Gold, your East Fife and Scottish football podcast. I'm Michael McCall. And I'm Lee Gillis. And we're back, people. We had a little bit of time off. Lee, your chlamydia flared up again and you, the cream you were on just completely knocked you out. Yeah, do you want to know what? It was actually amazing how quick that it worked, but it did make me a wee bit tired, but... Um, yeah, the, you know, I thought I was thought you couldn't catch it twice, but five times later, here we are. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's COVID you're thinking about, but yeah. Oh, right, okay, that makes sense. At least you didn't have that, so that that is the main thing. But you know, in all seriousness, there was just a little bit of issue with you, but you're you're back to fighting fitness. Yeah, yeah, all good, all good. Um, I had a, a bacterial infection called cellulitis. I've had it on and off since I was eighteen, but um, that's the the third time that it's end up with a trip to Hotel NHS but thanks for everybody for all your, your well wishes and I'm, I'm definitely on the mend now and we've got a great show around here this week. We do. I didn't want to do the show without you again because I, I think it works better when we're both on it and we've got a little bit of banter going so it's also because we didn't really know what was going to be, be happening with Scottish football. We toyed with maybe even in the summer, going fortnightly or whatever. So that'll give folk a little bit of a, a taste of that. But as you say, we do have a great show in store. Before we get to that, though, Lee, let us know who this week's sponsor is. Yep, it's a, we've got a sponsor this week who I actually touched on in our last show, Capital Football Shirts, based out of Edinburgh. So they um, are, are set up by a guy called Jordan. Um, really, really nice guy, Jordan Hopkinson. Actually plays for Civil Service Strollers. Um, and he buys and sells retro football shirts. So if you've got any shirts that you're looking to sell, or perhaps even you're looking to buy some of the older stuff and get in touch with them, best place to get them is on Instagram. If you just search Capital Football Shirts 9. Excellent. Thank you so much for the support. I checked it out. Some some really good stuff or on the on the site. So check them out. And we want to, to thank the Phoenix England office um, for a, a, an amazing donation, which we'll be putting straight towards the clubs to go towards the GPS vests. So just a little bit of a blurb. The Phoenix Glen office and Lawrence Welsh are proud to support East Fife in these difficult times and would encourage all East Fife fans to help at the club if they can. At the Phoenix, we offer a warm and friendly atmosphere to anyone who comes to visit us. We offer a generous 35 mil measure of all premium brands and have a fantastic range of draft beers and ciders, including Magnus Viginal and the best pint of Guinness in town. Once lockdown's over, head along to their Domino's night on a Tuesday, their pub quiz on a Sunday, or for your next special occasion, why not book their function suite for just a £149, which includes a DJ. They also have an amazing jukebox with over 30,000 songs in it. Um, so if you're in the mood for music, you'll find what you want. So thanks to, to the, the Phoenix and Lawrence Welsh once again. So as we said, we're back. 
But we might not be the, the only things that are returning because it looks like Scottish League 1 and Scottish League 2 is back. Or is it? Well, maybe it is. Because every single day I've woken up this week, we're recording this on Wednesday, I, I woke up on Monday, there was no answer, d- didn't know what was happening. Tuesday, it's all go ahead. Wednesday, I woke up this morning and it's still all back up in the air again. But it looks positive. I think we could be getting back to talking about East Fife games on the pitch pretty soon. Yeah, I, th- I think that there was um, an article in the Daily Ranger that was going on about the stipulations of, you know, if, if people vote against it not coming back. And I was looking down the club list and the only clubs that I could see not voting for the league to resume would have been Forfar and Peterhead. But the only, the, the, in our league, you only need three teams to say yes to the league we start yes. in. And look, Falkirk and Peterhead are going to say yes. Uh, sorry, Falkirk and... Cool. And uh, oh, pa- oh yeah, Partick, yeah. yeah. You know, all these clubs that I've invested heavily are going to say yes. I know from speaking to people at the club that, that we definitely want to get back to playing and saying and finish the season. I think uh, there's loads of questions to, to ask. Will it be 18 games or will it be 27? Um, is, is one that we need to look at um, and, and how the format of that's going to run. Well, that, that seems to be one of the big debates as to whether clubs are going to vote for it to, to go ahead or not. The, the Daily Record article kind of made it sound like League Two might not go ahead. They don't think the, they think the clubs will just vote to, to, to not go ahead with it, which is going to be a, a shame for a club like Queen's Park, who's invested very heavily. Because, yeah. I mean, it's the same we talked last season. Kelty. For, for all that you hate them, invested heavily and then Brora Rangers and them didn't get the chance to, to possibly get into the league. They're not going to get that chance again. And if League Two gets gets stopped, then they're definitely not going to get that chance again. Queen's Park's invested heavily to get out of League Two. If that gets suspended, it, it's, it's going to put folk off investing in the short term in Scottish football, which is a a bit concerning in in some regard. But in League One, it should go ahead. But the stumbling block for a lot of this is, do they play an 18-game season? Do they play a 27-game season? There was even talk of a hybrid 18-game season where everyone plays each other home and away, which would be fair, and then the league would split and you'd play another four games, so five and five teams play four games to, to have a 22-game season, which is then making things a little bit complicated. But the feeling was that that would be to win over clubs like, say, Forfer, that might be concerned that there's just not enough games to, to make up enough points to stop yeah. getting relegated. I like the like, sound of that. Yeah, I, I, when I first read it, I was like, no, no, no. But then when I broke it down, I thought, I, I, don't, I don't mind that because it, it would guarantee East Fife if we finish in the top five, some bumper games to to yeah. possibly clinch a, a playoff spot and then get us going into the playoffs. The downside, though, is if you finish sixth and then you're in with the dregs and you've got four games that could very possibly be absolutely meaningless because of points total. But if you're in that position anyway, and let's say there's a gap after playing X amount of games and you're realistically not going to get it, then your season's going to be meaningless anyway. Yeah, so, it's just it's not going to be much fun to talk about because the games are going to be absolute crap. I don't know if we'd even bother doing fan zones really after that 
per se, but... I don't know. Let us know your thoughts. Obviously, we're always interested in, in the listeners' engagement and, and how you would like things to go down. So get in touch with us on Twitter at Glory Days of Gold, of course. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm happy with 18. I know you're not, no. but I just feel that's fair. Home and away, it's balanced, and you're not asking these guys to play too much because the Scottish Cup's back as well, which I know yeah. you weren't really wanting to go ahead. I am because I love my cup football, and I think we've got a good chance of going deep this year. But the games, uh, they're going to come thick and fast. If it's just two games a week, I think that's doable. But if we're talking three, and I saw in one report they're talking that some teams might have to play four games a week, that's completely unacceptable. The, my only concern is, if we do the Scottish Cup as well, and say they do go to 27 games, you're looking at Tuesday, Thursday, Thursday Saturday. And if you've got injuries, you're going to need huge depth, something we don't have. Um, that would concern me. That would that would concern me. But look again, you know, we've, we've said it plenty of times, and, and Darren and Tony we trust. Although on the Darren note with the air job coming up again, who knows mm-hmm. if we're even going to have Darren for them? So, um, one of the the hot favourites for the job. So, you, you, you haven't seen got... the betting for it. I meant to actually look before we did the show. I mean, is he up? Is he up there just now? As I've only really seen Pai and Bovril, and sorry, a lot of the fans on Pai and Bovril want Darren. So, you know, I think he, he was agonisingly close the last time. Mm. It doesn't seem to have really waned. You know, they, they seem, there's still some interest there. So, in terms of the, the bookmakers, Darren's at 14 to 1. So, he is seen as an outside bet, but mm. um, David Hopkins is a favourite. Um, at six to four, you've got Jim McIntyre at six to one, um, which I was quite surprised at Jim McIntyre being up there, but who knows? You've got Ian Murray at eight to one, Peter Houston at eight to one as well, David Robertson at ninety one, Stuart McCall at ninety one, Danny Lennon at ten to one, obviously at Clyde just now, um, and then Jim Duffy ten to one, Stuart Petrie um, off Montrose at eleven to one, Morris Ross who's just left. Um, Motherwell, he was a coach at Motherwell. He's out at twelve to one. But look, sometimes um, there's managers' names that are banded about, and then nothing comes out. But it looks like David Hopkins a favourite. Darren at fourteen to one. You never know. Strange things have happened. That looks like a rank outsider to me. I've got to say, um, which was is good for us. But I do believe his contract with his Fife is up this summer. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I think that he's, his, his deal is, is coming to an end and, you know, it might be attractive to air to not have to pay any compensation, you know, and they've already interviewed Darren and know what he can bring to the table. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I, I, like I say, 14 to 1 is, is seen as a, a bit of an outsider, but stranger things have happened in football, you know. Who would uh, I thought we would have seen some of the stuff that we've seen at Bayview um, down the years. So. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, the, the thing is with air. It's like, will they maybe want to just have an interim manager in place just now? I mean, they're in that relegation spot just now, second bottom, so the playoff spot, really. But they do have games in hand. It's really tight down the bottom because you have to think Inverness isn't going to be staying down there either. So I I don't know if they would take a risk on an interim and wait to see what's available in the summer or if they need to, to go for somebody now, which... They might not want to pay compensation, as you say, so it might be somebody that isn't in a job just now. No. But yeah, we'll keep an eye on that one. 
The other thing, of course, we'll keep an eye on is what loan signings we might bring into Bayview for the, the start of the season. So we've got to say, at the time of recording this, and we're going to try and bring this episode out a bit earlier because we don't want it to be so out of date. And I do feel that this is something that's going to be changing rapidly because, as I've said, it seems to have changed every day this week so far. We don't know when clubs are going to return. Nicola Sturgeon said that they could get back to, to go in immediately. Now, to me, immediately, I would think means you can start training this week if you're getting all the testing done. If not this week, maybe train Tuesday next week. Then how much do you need a week's training to get get going next weekend? Do you need two weeks training to get going the weekend after? Whatever it is, it looks like, assuming the season is going and the vote all goes for that, mid-March, at maybe the latest, we could be back watching East Fife on the pitch. We're going to need some help, I think, to to cover the games. There's still not been a decision just now, or at least there has been a decision, but not a positive one, as to what is happening for below us. So Lowland League, Highland League, East, West, South of Scotland Leagues, the Junior Leagues, the North Caledonian League, the, the Women's Premier League, they're all still suspended as of now. I would be very surprised if Lowland League and Highland League do get the, the okay to come back. You do have the interesting situation where there are some Highland League teams still involved in the Scottish Cup and they've got special dispensation to, to play those games, but they're going to be so woefully unprepared, it's very unfair on them. Yeah. But it brings up the thing, do we get someone like Fashback? The, the loan window's been extended to the end of March now. I'm yeah. pretty sure now that we've had this go-ahead, Darren's on the on the phone seeing what he can get done. I mean, we've talked about Fash being the obvious one. Is there anyone else that kind of stands out or have you heard any murmurs? There's always murmurs and rumours, but I, I don't like to put stock into that, really. Um, funny, though, you mentioned Fash. Yeah. I haven't had him on the show. I've still got his phone number on my phone, so I just sent him um, a link from Google. Um, with directions to the Orium training ground, obviously we would train, <laughs> just, just in case you can't remember how to get there. Um, so we had a bit of banter back and forward. So, I mean, I'd obviously love to see Fash coming back. I think it's like something that we need massively. I mean, there, there's so many players that are in that level. Callum Higginbotham, one that um, was mentioned by um, Paul McQuaid there, um, would be another name that I'd obviously would like to see. So, look, there's so much talent. I mean, you've got Daryl Meggett, um, who played for us a few years ago. It was excellent. Um, at Darvall, not going to be doing much. Ian McShane at Darvall, not going to be able to play. So, definitely, definitely some some talent that we could be um, getting on the, the blower to. And um, look, look at the players that Darren's brought in. I'm, I'm sure that he's, he's all over it. I'm sure he is. I'm excited. I'm excited to see what happens because it feels like this is the chance to kind of hit the restart button as well a little bit on our season because we had some ups and downs. We had just kind of maybe started to hit our stride, but this break might actually work in our favour. If we can get our away form sorted, I think that is the key. So we'll see who comes in. I'm not excited about having to get up at 7am to watch games again, but I can live with that. It's it's not going to be that many games. Uh, Tuesdays as well, as long as I'm not working, that should be hopefully good to, to watch the games live as well. But we'll, we'll see what happens. I'll try and make sure I don't work any Tuesdays for a, for a little bit. But yeah, we'll see what happens. Let us know if you're excited for it to come back and how you think the team is going to do. But... 
I think it's time now to get to this week's feature episode and we're kind of, we're doing a double act. It's a father and son duo. They've both had time at Bayview, different times, different eras as well. Peter and Paul McQuaid. So we've got a nice, fun, lengthy chat with the pair of them. So go make your favourite hot beverage, grab a chocolate digestive, sit back, put your feet up, you've earned it. And listen to our chat with Peter and Paul McQuaid. So delighted now to say that we're joined by a father and son that have both worn the famous black and gold for East Fife. There's not been many father-sons that's played for the club over the years. I know Paul might say that he didn't play too much for the club, but you're, you, you both <laughs> fall into that category, so that's good. So, so you're being a bit kinder. <laughs> <laughs> I'm building you up here, guys. It's like we've, we've got Peter and Paul McQuaid on the show with us tonight. So thank you so much for joining us, guys. Welcome. No problem. Pleased to be here. Now, we're going to go through both of your, your careers during the show. A lot of the first bit will be talking to Peter about his, and then we'll kind of talk to Paul about, about his as well. Now, Peter, you had six seasons at Bayview, 151 appearances in all competitions, five goals. Paul, one season at Bayview, 16 appearances, no goals, but... Ten injuries. <laughs> was it 16 injuries or 16 appearances? I can't read what my writing here. More injuries than that, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it's nice to have a, a father and son that, that have played for, for the club. When you both look back at your time at, at Bayview, how, how do you both look back at, at your time with the club? Well, I would have to say, and I've said it before, it was the best. Um, five years of my football life, five stroke six years of my football life. And I played up until I was 40, and obviously junior after I stopped playing senior football. But without a shadow of doubt, I was just lucky to be there at the right time and surrounded by so many excellent players. And when I think about the fact there were two internationals in the team, Pat Quinn and John Martis, I mean, that just wouldn't happen uh, in this day and age. So um, I was lucky to be there at that time. And they were fantastic teammates, every single one of them. They were all excellent players. And um, as I say, it was a, a great five years. We enjoyed, you know, playing Rangers and Celtic and Hearts and Hibs. Only two divisions, of course. Um, but we went up, we got promoted. And uh, we managed to... Um, to stay there for a couple of seasons um, and it, it really was fantastic. We were never full time um, but we never ever felt that we were at a disadvantage um, because back then I, I think full time players unlike today I hasten to add because I think today there's far more emphasis on speed and fitness um, and one-touch football than there was back then. I mean, a full-time professional playing at that time when we got promoted, they would probably report 11 o'clock in the morning. They'd probably be away home again at 2 o'clock. 
Um, so they didn't put in much much of a shift. So we found that the gap, and we increased our training regime by adding an, another night so that we could train three nights rather than two to try and get that physical fitness level up to match the full-time teams that we came up against. And I would like to think that actually we did. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the results can uh, speak for themselves a little bit there. I mean, Paul, obviously different era, different times. When you were at the club, how do you look back at, at your time at Bayview? I know it, it was short, we're joking about that, but like, how, how did you find your time there? I mean, obviously, <clears throat> joining the club when I did, I was really looking forward to the opportunity of playing for my dad's club, as I saw it. Do you know what I mean? Um. And I knew how much it meant to, to my dad for me to be signing with East Fife. <clears throat> um, all in all, a, a huge disappointment when I when I think about it and look back on it um, for various reasons. Obviously, injuries played a big part. Um, I didn't dedicate myself enough when I was injured to getting back fit quick enough. Um, <clears throat> but I, I, I didn't get me wrong. I had I had a decent time there in terms of the guys. Dressing room was a good dressing room. I knew a lot of the players. Um, we had a decent squad. We had a good run in the League Cup. Was it the quarter-final? Yeah. We, yeah. we beat Aberdeen or did we get to the quarter-final? Was it? I think that was the quarter-final. Ah, the last 16 yeah. we'd beat Aberdeen up at Petordu. So, yeah. again, me, I was in the stands and I was injured that game. So, a lot of good memories in that sense off the pitch. But, in, in terms of personally, it was a it was a bit of a disappointing season, um, and although I never got after Gordon Jury took over, and at the end of the season when my contract was up, he didn't offer me a new contract, but he did say come back, do pre-season and see how you go, and just my my mindset at the time wasn't quite right. And, I decided to go back playing junior, which I kind of regret. I wish I'd just, you know, come back pre-season and tried to prove my worth, if you like, my fitness. But, you know, it's, it's hindsight, I suppose, at the end of the day. Aye, it's, it's always a great thing. I guess that's what this show's yeah. kind of all about as well. It's like, it's a lot of just looking back and the what ifs and what did happen. But, I mean, you're both fifers through and through. I mean, Peter... First of all, like, who did you grow up supporting? Did you get along to, to many football games when you were a kid? Well, I was uh, born and brought up in Inverkeerang. And for some reason or another, um, I took an interest in Celtic at a very, very young age. And I mean, it wasn't, there wasn't any sort of, you know, uh, Celtic Rangers thing in Inverkeerang. It's just the guys I ran around with and played football with, happened to be sort of Celtic fans, if you like. And uh, so I started um, supporting them and, and actually went to a lot of games um, from the age of, I think I'd only be about 12 or 13. And back then, you could get on a bus in Burkeden High Street and go to Parkhead. It was 72,000 at one of the games I was at. Um, and mum and dad never, they never batted an eyelid. They knew you were safe and you would be fine. Um, so I'm, 
a Celtic supporter from from way back. Um, so when I got the chance, obviously to later on in life to play against them, it was yeah. uh, it was enjoyable insofar as just being there and being at Parkhead and running out with with these guys. Never ever beat them, of course, but uh, the experience was good. What about yourself, Paul? Who did you grow up supporting? <laughs> uh, as a Catholic raised boy yeah. with a family <laughs> Celtic fans, I uh, I got into football when Gaza, Loudrop, all these Rangers players were at their peak. So I eventually started supporting Rangers. <laughs> Well, I, you know, it's I kind was, of normal for a boy his age. Who are you going to support? Yeah. Well, I'm not going to support the team at the bottom of the league. I'm going to support the one at the top. And Rangers were the top side uh, with Terry Butcher and all these guys. Yeah. Uh, I suppose in that sense, it was more to do with you not being that kind of father. Mm. Pushing, oh, aye. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pushing your team on me. No, no. Um, I think there's a story about my granddad buying me a... Celtic strip when I was two for my second birthday and my dad chucked it in the bin and he said he'll make his own mind up now he's probably turning in his grave now <laughs> but it is I don't believe in you know saying your, your child's going to do this that or the next thing and in fact when Paul was growing up people said to me or would say to me oh Paul will be like you he'll be a football player and I said well as far as I'm concerned Paul will be Paul He'll do what he wants to do. I'm not going to insist that he play football necessarily. And the thing about Paul was, Paul was excellent at golf, excellent at snooker, and excellent at football. So he, he had the choice of, you know, pursuing any one of the three. As it turns out, he I should, chose... I should have pursued the golf, I think. <laughs> <laughs> He chose football, but it was his choice, and that was fine. And I said, if he'll do what he wants to do, he'll be Paul McQuaid. He'll not be trying to emulate me or comparing them with me. I said, I don't want any of that nonsense. Yeah, both my parents are Rangers fans. My mum's from Glasgow, so she used to go to, to Ibrox with her dad like way back in the day. I always remember being at the Lynx Market as a little kid, like probably six or seven, and we'd won something. I picked a Celtic thing for no reason, and my mum was appalled, and she was like, you can't put that on, you can't wear that. I'm like, okay. But then it's like I grew up supporting East Fife, so yes, yeah, it's, it's good when you make your own decisions. Now, Peter, we're going we're gonna to take you way back now just to kind of start. What's your earliest memories of like playing the game, and when did you know that you had what it took to, to make it as a professional? Mm. Well, obviously, you know, I kicked the ball about in the street when I was growing up. Um, but the first opportunity I got to play a kind of, you know, serious level was um, when, just after I, I, I'd started work, uh, when I left school. I knew at school I was a half-decent player. Um, I made the five team and got to um, the, the Tayside team and then played in the... actually played in the final uh, trial at under 15 for Scotland schoolboys at Larbert. So I knew then, you know, that I, I was a half-decent uh, football player. Um, I didn't um, make 
the, the Scotland team. Um, it was a guy from Adrian Coat Bridge um, who got the left back slot. And the following week, they played at Wembley in front of 80,000 people. So I was a wee bit peeved. Uh, wow. um, but he, he, was a, he was a fantastic player. Goodness, for the life of me. Signed for Manchester United as well, a left back. Um, sadly, I think he's passed away now and his name escapes me. But anyway, um, so when I was at a, that age, um, I realised, you know, that uh, I, I did have um, some ability at, at that point. So East Fife then became your, your first senior club in yes. 1967. Right. How, how did that come about then? When did you know that they were interested in right. signing you and how did right. that play out? I think life in general, you, you need a bit of luck on your side as you go through life. And football's no any different. Uh, you need a bit of luck as well, perhaps, to be in the, the right place at the right time. And that certainly happened to me. I, I had worked in the post office. and That was my first job when I left school. And um, they were, were part of the civil service. Um, and I worked in the GPO in Dunfermline. But I had to work three out of four Saturdays. So signing up for a Saturday football team just wasn't on the cards. So I ended up playing for the paper mill on a Sunday at Inverkeeding in, in a Sunday league. Um, and it was actually a good sort of grounding. Anyway, after a year, um, the boss at the post office uh, got a staff meeting and said, look, um, we are now leaving the civil service because the post office back then were part of the civil service. And they said, you can either stay with the post office, who would then become as they are now, or you can go to another civil service department. So I said to the boss, which ones don't work on a Saturday? <laughs> he said, well, there's Inland Revenue, Ministry of Pensions and National Insurance, named another couple. I thought, all right, I'll have one of them then. Put me down for the Ministry of Pensions and National Insurance. So that's where I got sent. And, and that would be 1966. And that was uh, to Co-Wind and Kirkcaldy. That's where their office was. And then um, I started playing football again uh, on, on a Saturday. And who was I got signed for? Long after that, um, Valleyfield Juniors, they, 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 they came calling. And uh, so I went and played for Valleyfield Juniors. But four months into that, we were playing uh, Glenrothes, strangely enough, here in Glenrothes, but they played at Dovecott Park then. Yeah. Not, not Warwick Stadium where they are now, but down at Dovecott. And the aspect of the being lucky in football and in life generally, we were playing them, and unknown to me, Jimmy Bonthrone and we, Tommy Adams, his chief scout, had gone to watch a game at Newborough. And Jimmy Bonthorne was the manager of East Fife at the time. So the game was called off for some reason. And on the way back, Tommy Adams said to him, oh, by the way, there's a 
game at Glenrothes. Glenrothes in Valleyfield. Let's call in and have a look. And I signed for East Fife two weeks later. Wow. That's how it came about. Well, <laughs> and the rest is history, as they say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Perfect segue into my question there. Does it, it's starting off with, with Jimmy Bond throwing, and obviously he's a, a club legend. Mm. Um, with East Fife for a large part of our success in the, the 40s and the 50s. He had a tough job as a manager with um, the club sort of struggling financially off the pitch and, and struggling with results on it. How did you find him as your, as your first manager in the sort of senior game? And what did you learn from him about what it took to make it in the game? Well, he always told me that um, the most important thing was attitude and how you trained and how you looked after yourself. He said that the football ability takes care of itself. He said, you wouldn't be here if you didn't have that ability. Um, he said, so, but you've got to take care of all the other stuff and don't get, you know, sidetracked. Um, and I remember when he came to, um, to sign me, I signed for East Fife in the Aberdour Hotel in Aberdour because my dad worked in the Woodside Hotel in Aberdour and Jimmy Bonthorne wanted my dad to be with me to witness the signature and to agree that, you know, everything was okay as far as he was concerned. Um, so Jimmy Bonthorne was a very honest man and hard-working, working-class characters from uh, King Lassie with that sort of background. And um, I, I got on really well with him, and I think the, the, the team generally got on well with him. He wasn't somebody who would rant and rave. He would speak to you quietly. He would talk sensibly to you. And he eventually himself uh, got a reward and uh, got the job at Aberdeen. After he left East Fife, that's where he went. And he did well up there too. He, he was a, just a lovely man, really nice man. It definitely makes playing or, or working for anybody makes you work harder if you like them and you respect them. Paul, moving on to you then. Um, 20, moving on that nearly 20 years, um, your dad spent 10 years in the senior game. How much was that an inspiration to you as a as an upcoming player that your dad had played at a decent level and, and to try and maybe even exceed that? Is that a rhetorical question? <laughs> <laughs> Your best no, answer, I, I'm only joking. I'm only joking. Um, <laughs> to be honest, I, I only really became... Um, my, my dad never really talked a lot about himself in terms of his um, experiences and his... Obviously, playing at that, that level, we's five, playing against Celtic teams and Rangers teams in, in the old first division, he never really brought it up much. He, when I was growing up, he was only really focused on what I was doing as a, a youth player. Do you know what I mean? Um, <clears throat> so he, I only became more aware of it as I grew older. And I think when I went to a few East Five games with my dad and ended up meeting kind of committee members and ex-players after the game. And as I grew older, I became more aware of how loved he was at the club, if you like. Um, 
So again, going back to earlier on about me signing Reese Fife, um, I was I was really excited to try and become a part of his legacy. I'm not alone; it didn't work out, but um, yeah, that, as I say, but growing up, it wasn't a a big deal. My dad never forced forced that on me in terms of his uh, his achievements, but he was always more concerned about what I did and. He was always my biggest critic too, which caused a few fallouts. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, that like I was never any good at football, so I can't relate in that sense. But you know, it, it's it's always harder to take criticism from the people you're closest to. So, yeah. You know what are you giving me abuse for? You know you're meant to be my biggest fan. You're meant to. Be, but, Aye. I think I was all, I was always aware that my dad had, had been a. He obviously played football to a decent level in his day, and I was always aware that he knew what he was talking about. So, as much as I hated to take it on the chin growing up, and even through my senior career, mm. um, I always respected his opinion um, because it was something to be, you know, he knew what he was talking about, and it was it was something that I was able to take away and say, right, well, fair enough, you know what you're talking about. <laughs> You can't even really turn around and say, "Well, yeah, actually, argue." Like so, <laughs> I think you used to some, sometimes turn and say, "Well, have you played at Celtic Park in front of such and such." I'm like, no, shut it. <laughs> a good point, though. You can't argue with yeah, that. Exactly. <laughs> no comeback. <clears throat> so back to you then, Peter. How did you find that initial jump up then from playing with a sort of colliery team to going senior? And did you ever think that after that you'd end up with a decade in the pro game from when you first started this way? Um, to be honest, I never thought much about the step up. Obviously, I was I was excited about it and really looking forward to to being there and seeing what the the, the differences were. I mean, the the main thing for me, perhaps, wasn't so much. Well, obviously, on the football pitch, you're surrounded by the better players, and that's not being disrespectful to the boys at, at Valleyfield. And then it's a whole lot more structured and more disciplined and everything that you do and the training regime and, and what have you. And you've got to bring a certain amount of professionalism with you. Um, I always, I kind of always had that. I mean, even when I played with Valleyfield, I used to get the bus to Inverkeeda to go to Valleyfield to play down uh, on the riverside uh, to play for Valleyfield Juniors and get a bus back the way. So, you know, that, that sort of aspect of it and, and being disciplined uh, didn't didn't trouble me um, in, in the least. Um, so the, the step up in terms of ability, obviously you're, you're kind of wary that uh, there's a lot of good players here and I'm the new kid on the block. Um, and you're going to have to try and you know prove yourself. Um, and back then, the the young players who were just coming in, they didn't get into the first team changing room. They changed in the away room before training, and they got showered in there after training as well. And I always remember. Do you remember old Johnny Gear, who was a physio? 
at his fife. No, no we no, way no. by your time, I. Johnny was. Lee's the same age as me. How's he? <laughs> no, no. Johnny, I, Johnny I've got twenty years on Lee, though, but I don't remember. <laughs> Johnny was old school. A uh, really a, a real character, as I say. And I always remember making my debut. Um, it was against Burnt Island Shipyard in the Fife Cup. Now that's you know something that had gone on for years and years and years. But anyway, it was an opportunity for me to to get into the first team. So this is me first time in the first team dressing room, and I'm looking for my strap. And yeah, it was there when you go. And I'm starting to get myself ready, and I see all these guys going up onto the the table. We get a rub down. Phil Johnny Gear, and he's got the linseed oil out or whatever it is. And I'm looking at this now. He Jimmy Kinsella's up there. Uh, you know, the first team players. Billy McGann was a goalie, I think, at the time. Billy's up there. He's getting a rub down. I thought, that looks all right. So when one of them came down, I wandered over and got up on the, the table. And Johnny Gear comes over and says, Aye, what can I do for you, laddie? Uh, do you think I could get a rub down, Mr. Gear? A rub down, son? What age are you? Hey, I'm 17, 18. Get off of there, go and get your bits on, and just go out and play football. <laughs> <laughs> so that was it. Nay rub doing, nay nothing. Just go out and play. <laughs> that was the that was a kind of you know, the, the discipline in the dressing rooms then. It was it was effective. It was very effective. I thought, oh, I better not do that one again. <laughs> <coughs> I'm sure as time went on it got to be your turn for that and you turned to haze the younger right. player as well. And I think actually I think that was the day. I must have made my, my debut at some point because I think we were playing Stirling Albion that day and uh, I was on the bench and we were getting beat 2-9 uh, with 15 minutes, 20 minutes to go. And Jimmy Bonthrone was the manager, he was still there. He says, right son, go and get warmed up and go on and enjoy yourself for the last 20 minutes. So, get on. 1-3-2. Again. I said two of them up. <laughs> one, three, two. So, so I come back in again, and old Johnny says, You want that rub doing now, son? <laughs> I think you'll definitely. That's true. We did with one, three, two, uh, debut. <laughs> so that was me more or less getting my sort of nose in the, in the door, in the first team door anyway. And um, eventually, when Henry uh, McLeish, he was the he was the man in charge of the left back spot at the time, and uh, I got my opportunity and obviously took uh, took his place. I always remember Henry on the the bus on the away games. He was always studying because, of course, he was an academic then and soon to become <laughs> first minister of Scotland, and then. Seem to, seem to um, sort of you know, be, be disgraced to some extent regarding his uh, expenses claims or whatever it was. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so, um, 
So I, you know, meeting characters like that, um, it, it, and it is football is about meeting different people, different characters, and I have, you know, I've, I've written my life story, um, and football is a big, big part of it, and I just wanted to have something to leave Paul, not nest, not just about uh, my my football career, but just my life in general from start to finish. I hope I've still got a few more paragraphs to add to it. Like, I'm not planning on going anywhere right now. But he knows where it is. I've shown him where it is. And uh, so when I'm no longer around, he can he can have a look at the full story about where I grew up and so on. And That's by lovely. the way, my brothers ended up in Canada. Oh, what part? Three, three brothers all in Canada, yes. Where, whereabouts? All, all on the East Coast, Toronto. I'm, I'm Vancouver. Aye, you're way, way the yeah. other side. <laughs> Aye, way the other side. It's about the same distance again, isn't it? Aye, it's like four and, and a half hours flight aye. from here to Toronto. Mm -hmm. you, you're flying over to, to come back home and you've been on the, the plane for like four hours and you look at the map and you've still not left Canada yet and you're like, oh, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a vast country. Yeah. So, I've had a few good trips there. It's, it's a place I've never managed to get yet, but Michael said he's going to get me out on comps, so we'll see yeah. how it goes. <laughs> um, so, I mean, there were some real characters that you touched on there in, in the era that you were in. What was life like as a footballer in the, the swinging 60s and the 70s? I thought the nights out would have been pretty wild, but Dave Clark said that the, they seemed to be pretty tame, that there wasn't much in terms <laughs> of wild nights out, but maybe you're a, a, going to be a little bit more of a, a drinker than maybe David was. <laughs> well, that's fair comment actually, because David Clark, um, I've never met a quieter boy, you know, in all my life, and and he came and signed the same time as I did, and I always remember him arriving, and he hardly had two words to to say to anybody. But the thing about David was, he did his talking on the park. He's got to be the best player not to have played at the top level, whether Celtic or Rangers, Hearts or Hibs. How he never, ever was signed by somebody else. And Celtic sprang to mind because at that time, their John Clark was come at the end of his career. And I was convinced that Celtic would come in and sign Davy Clark, and it didn't happen. And then when Jimmy Bonthorne went to Aberdeen, I thought, well, bound to go to Aberdeen. It didn't happen. And I really... Don't know why. I, I haven't a clue. Um, Drinking-wise, on, on the drinking front, um, back then, this is before I was married, of course, when I was uh, younger, uh, more foolish, if that's at all possible. Um, but a young boy from Verkeza, I used to get let loose on leaving High Street after a home game, every home game. So I was there on a fair Saturday night, drinking right through all day on Sunday, and I'd stagger into work on a Monday, usually late. Sometimes no coming in on a Monday, phoning in sick. Now, I always remember the boss calling me in one time, Oh, McQuaid, can I have a word? Aye, sure. 
Il sait, ça, nous, ça, ça, il parle mieux. On y a 50 ans, ça. Ah, c'est de ça. Ouais. Monday seems to be your favorite day off. Oh, right, aye. Well, you know what? He says, if you didn't get it sorted out, he says, you're going to be facing disciplinary procedures. He says, because I know and you know what you're up to on the weekend. He says, so this Monday absences has got to stop. So that was my giving me a fairly rude awakening as to, you know, curtailing my social activities after an age five game and uh, getting home back to Inverkeaton at a decent time on a Sunday in order to go, go to work on the Monday. So <laughs> that was a close call. But I have to say the folk I worked with, my colleagues and that, they, they, they were great. They, they covered for, for me on a few occasions. Yeah, it was certainly very different yeah, yeah. times like back then to, to be a footballer because I've spoken to Willie Johnston and like the tales that he tells me are about life in the 60s and the 70s and, and footballer as a fife. D did you have a kind of... Like because you were playing for football, it's like... Did it like get you free drinks? Did it get you lots of attention from the ladies? That kind of stuff? Certainly the second aspect of it, the, the, the ladies... Um, yeah, they 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 were. Um, this is for Paul Cummins' ears. <laughs> <laughs> no, because we went to places, but back then there, it was dancing. There was live bands in the Cali Hotel. Uh, the other one that was a new one that opened up, um, live groups, and it was dancing, and there was females there. So yeah, there, there was there was all of that, and. Um, I think the drinking aspect of it, I, I think drink now amongst youngsters has way overtaken, you know, whatever I did. And my drinking started on a Saturday night and finished on a Monday, a Sunday night, and I never touched a drink all week, ever. Never, ever, ever. Not even on a non-training night. Um, it was for the weekend. No. That was me. I was fine with Well, let's get back to the on-the-pitch stuff now at the club. So, the, the that era, the late 60s into the 70s, it was the last time that East Fife had been in the, the top flight. They just missed promotion in the 69-70 season, but then they, they clinched it the following season, going up just behind Partick Thistle in Thistle. the league. Mm -hmm. What's your memories of that promotion winning season? They always oh, it was fantastic just to make it, and we were lucky again. It was the top two, and not just the the top one. It, it was difficult. It, it was a slog, and every week you you really had to be on on your game. But when we did make it eventually, it, it was a fantastic feeling, I have to say. Um, none of the lads had well. John Martis and Pat Quinn had probably experienced football at a higher level than we had. Um, but for all the other guys, this was a, a great a great opportunity to go to all these you know, grounds that um, uh, you've only sort of seen on, on television before. And the first season was 
it was a bit of a struggle, and we knew that it would be. And you really had to bite and scrape for any points that you could you could get here or there. And I remember it went to the the last game of the season as determined whether we were going to go down or we were going to stay up. Because it was three of us at the bottom of the league, ourselves, Dunfermline and Dundee United. Dundee United and Dunfermline were playing at East End that day. And we, our last game, was at Motherwell. And we had to play them. And we needed a draw as an absolute minimum and hope that uh, the Dunfermline-Dundee United game was a draw as well. And if that was how it panned out, then we would stay up and one of them was going down. I can't remember which one it was. So we're at Fir Park and uh, first half, I lose the ball just on the halfway line. They come up, score. So my head's down right away. I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to cause, you know, the, the club to, the team to go down to be relegated. Anyway, as luck would have it, Joe Hughes stepped up in the second half, as Joe often did, scored an equaliser. So we're back in the dressing room, 1-1. I'm distraught, of course, no knowing what's going on. Of course, this is the days before, yeah. you know, what we're doing now, right? So we're talking teleprinter here. So we're sitting in the dressing room, waiting on the chairman, checking the results on the teleprinter <laughs> as they come through. So it takes forever. So eventually, the door burst open. And it was Jim Baxter who had the fruit and veg company and leaving for many, many years. He comes in, boys, you're staying up. Whatever it was, it was one one at Dunfermline. So that was us. So it was celebrations all around. But I still personally didn't feel like celebrating too much. But anyway, so the chairman said, well, boys, you've got your, your bonus there. He says, but... He says, I've got an additional bonus for you. He says, you've got your money bonus. He says, well, I've got another one for each of you. A coloured television. Oh, right. All oh, the boys are going, oh, yeah, that's, <laughs> that sounds like a good one. I've so story. what I need you to do is come in for one night's training. I know the season's finished, he says, but come in on Wednesday. He says, I'll have your televisions for you and you can take them home. Right, I thought, that's fine. Now, I'd already bought my mum a coloured television because I was single at the time. So I didn't need the TV, but I arranged to sell it to a girl at the work. And I explained this was her bonus. Oh, I right, she says, I'll buy it. Can't mind how much it was for, but anyway, that doesn't matter. So anyway, we all turned up at the ground on the following Wednesday, and got their TVs, well, TVs back then, <laughs> you're talking a whopper, you're not talking flat screens or anything. I mean, these things are absolutely ginormous. Anyway, I loved this telly, I've got somebody to help me put it in the car, and I took it to this colleague of mine um, who lived in Leslie, 
who said that she would she would buy it, and I knew her and her husband, uh, George. So I took it up, got it in the, in the house, and that was fine. She gave me the money, and uh, away I went. So we reported back for pre-season training, and the place was swarming with CID. <laughs> and we're like, what's going on here? They're saying, right, where's, where's your coloured television? I said, I sold it to a girl at the work. Right, where does she stay? I said, Leslie. She's right, get in the car, we're going. They're stolen. <laughs> oh, honestly, I had to go to this girl's house, chopped on the door. I said, I'm sorry. I said, I've never been so embarrassed in all my life. Apparently, the TVs have been stolen. Well, this was Mr. Baxter doing business through in Glasgow with whoever. So I'm coming out the house with these guys carrying the television, and George, her husband, shouts me back. He says, oh, Pete, come here. She says, I thought there was something dodgy about that telly, he says. The, 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 the number at the back has been scored out. <laughs> <laughs> Product number, he said, has been scored, scored out. So <laughs> that was it. That, that was the, the colour televisions and our additional bonus for uh, staying up uh, following a result of Mother <laughs> I, the the television thing is kind of gone down a little bit in folklore. We know a little bit about it, but we've never kind of had it broken down like that before. So that's 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 good to have heard that. I mean, I I had the pleasure of dealing a little bit with Jim Baxter in the late eighties and nineties. He was a, a good man, lovely guy. But he was a good man. But when we spoke to Davy Clark about him and stuff, he was like, he's always trying to save money and always trying to do this and try and do that. And yeah, I can imagine if a deal came up for television, he would have taken that. Now, you, you kind of touched on it at the start and when we've been talking as well about going to play at places like a packed Ibrox and a park, packed Parkhead, 70,000 fans there watching you. What, what was that whole experience like? Because, I mean, Bayview, you could get, I, I guess, ten to 20,000 crammed into there. But to go to these big stadiums and to play, like, some of the top players of the day that they had at Celtic and Rangers, what's your memories just off those kind of games? I think walking into Parkhead and just coming out the bus and just going in through the gates, and it, it, it just felt really, really good. Um, and then just walking in through the door and just see the, the kind of vastness of the place. Um, just everything about it was top class. And then going into the to the dressing rooms. And I'll never forget going into the Celtic one. I actually couldn't reach up to the hooks on to hang my jacket up on my, my ship. I mean, the straps got hung up there. You had to, I, I had to anyway, stand up on the seat to get up to the hook to put this, my clothes up and to get the strip down for there. And I think from memory, I think Ibrox was was much the same. Um, again, a kind of formidable place to, yeah. to go into. Um, but to walk out... Um, onto the playing surface as well, obviously. I mean, Bayview was well well looked after as best it could, but, um, I mean, they weren't in, 
in any way uh, as good as as uh, Parkhead or or Ibrox. But funnily enough, the best playing surface ever played against was at St Johnson. Oh, the roll ground, the roll ground. It was like a bowling green, unbelievable. And it was the kind of last thing I expected um, when I went there. Um, thinking about well, St Johnson and you know they're kind of a decent side but mid table. But really walked out onto this. It was bowling green quality. Fantastic. And if you couldn't play football on that, well, <laughs> sorry, folks, you, you know, you shouldn't be here. So the club had a, a tough first season in the, the first division, but we stayed up in the last game, like we talked about. When you think about the feelings after that game, how long did it sort of take you to, to get over that? Because you, you sort of alluded to it yourself, you weren't even really in the mood for celebrating. Did it take you a while to recover for that? or And were you sort of, had you forgiven yourself by the start of next season? Oh, yeah. Aye, I, I didn't think there's uh, there's much point in carrying these these things around with. It's just something that, that would stick with you, but not to the extent that it's going to affect your pre-season or your, your thoughts or your positivity um, going into the into the new season. And I was always somebody who, and I think a lot of the guys I played with were the same, that I really never thought any other player that I played against was better than me. I, I never had never had an inferiority complex. I wasn't a, um, overly cocky either, um, but I had a belief in my ability. And I, I really... Uh, didn't it bother me who I was playing against? And in fact, I played best or better against your Jimmy Johnsons, Willie Henderson at Rangers, Jim Forrest at Aberdeen. I played better against these guys than I did against the Bobby McKeans, played with St. Murray. Benny Maguire was another one. They used to give me a torrid time. Um there was other guys that played outside right that were not household names, the same as, you know, Jimmy Johnson and Henderson and Jim Forrest. Um, but I, I, I truly believed that I was as good as anybody else on the pitch. Um, the one guy that in his life I dealt him a, a cruel blow because he couldn't handle it. It was a fellow Pfeiffer, and he was for Valleyfield as well. It was George Conley. And that has got to be one of the biggest tragedies in Scottish football, that he ended up walking away for the game, literally walking off a plane when Celtic were going to play in Europe, I think it was. And he turned around and he, and he walked away. And I played against him many, many years later when I played junior and um, George played with uh, the team in, uh, out at uh, Crossford, uh, not Crossford. Where's the place just before you go over the Kincardine Bridge? They, they had a junior team, and George played for his local junior team in Kincardine. And I mean, he was still quite young, and he was <laughs> he was absolutely head and shoulders above everybody else. It was Tully Allen. Tully Allen Thistle played in Kincardine. And I remember going to have a pint with him after the, after the game and thoroughly enjoying his company again and talking about it. 
and he was just so insecure and he he just couldn't handle it. And then uh, eventually the drink took its toll with George, unfortunately. But what a, what a football player. I don't think I've ever heard that story. No. Definitely one for our, for our older listeners and, and Beanie's Fife fans. We, we certainly have a, a lot of them. So we're going to take you back then to the, that was the first time that the, the team were in the first division for, for 13 seasons. We then spent three seasons there and they've never returned to the, the pinnacle of Scottish football. So can you could you have imagined back then that you would have been as part of the last East Fife team to make that jump? Not really. Um, obviously, it was going to be an important part of their history. Um, that always would have been the case. Um, but I would have hoped that the players that came in and the teams that were going to follow uh, when the likes of Jury came in, you know, we, we had a, a, a decent side then. I I used to um, go and, and watch. I did a bit of scouting, dare I say, for Wraith Rovers at one time. Judas. Well, it was nice talking to you. Uh... <laughs> It was a guy I knew in Glenrothes. He was a kind of chief scout for them. And and I, I knew Alistair McElroy very well. And he said to me one time, he said, what are you doing with football these days, Peter? I said, I'm not doing anything. He says, do you fancy coming down and doing a bit of coaching with a under uh, 16s or 15s, whatever it was, and then, you know, kind of take it from there? So I said, aye, why not? I was, I was at the stage I was ready to get into that side of... Uh, the football anyway and um, I took their youngsters and they're a really cracking side as well and there's some uh, smashing uh, young lads um, so I've kind of lost the thread here what was I going to talk about? <laughs> Sorry, don't worry um, it was just basically talking about the the team and um, that was our, our first time the, the, the first well the last time that we were in the, the top division um, and could do, did you would you imagine that that would have been the last time that East Fife were, were in that sort of position? No, I would I would have hoped that players that had come through, you know, after and I had gone and uh, as I mentioned, Gordon Jury there, I, I would have hoped that uh, under Davy Clark would have been managing then yeah. as well that they would have you know got back up there and competed. Uh, with the big boys, but again, the, the whole scene was starting to change uh, also, um, and I think it would probably be much more difficult for, you know, players in, in that sort of era or in that time uh, than it was for us, because the, the senior clubs, they were starting to up the, the ante as well, and I think this, you know, 11 till 2 in the afternoon was starting to disappear and I think, you know, players were starting to get a lot a lot fitter as well. So I think competition-wise, it was probably going to be more difficult for uh, the club to emulate, if I can use that word, what we did uh, back then. You would always hope that they would, but um, it was always going to be difficult. So we got relegated in 73-74 season, but by that time you'd already moved on um, before going 
to Dumbarton after six seasons at Bayview. So Frank Christie had then come in as manager. Was it the case that you'd wanted to go into Pastors New or was it a case of him wanting his own players at the club or a bit of both? It's a case of money. Uh, yeah, Paul, Paul's making the, the <laughs> extra hands. Extra. What had happened was I had been out, uh, the season before I went to Dumbarton, I had been out injured for, for quite a while. And... Um, the, it, I felt as though I needed perhaps to, you know, to, to make a move anyway. I'd had the five great years there. Um, I wasn't convinced that I was going to be part of the plans anyway. Um, and in fact, Pat Quinn had said to me that Dumbarton had made an approach. And if I was interested then he was okay for me to go and talk to them. So that's how it all sort of came about. And I went through to Glasgow and I spoke to, to Alec Wright, um, who was the manager at Dumbarton at the time. And um, he said that he wanted to, to sign me. Um, so, as I say, I'd been out injured. Um, Gene and I had been going out together um, but we didn't, you know, we hadn't made any arrangements regarding getting married or what have you. Financially, it, it wasn't possible at the time anyway. But um, having spoken to Dumbarton and agreed a signing on fee, then that was, it wasn't just for the money. I, I wanted to, to have a new start as well, uh, football-wise. But the money was handy. And it enabled us to to get married and to set up a home. Um, and well, the, the downside was that um, we got married on a Monday because I wasn't taking the Saturday off. Just having <laughs> taken all their money from them and went bye-bye. So we got married on a Monday and I was in Dumbarton on the Tuesday night training. There you go. Yeah. Dedication for you. So you played for Berwick after Dumbarton. The day you know we've got a black and gold thing going on here. Did you notice that? <laughs> I maybe just an affiliation yeah. for the colours. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> like Talbot was next, I think. But that's true. Doing an airside on no. <laughs> just had to scroll down with Anwar on the list here. Um, no, I Berwick wouldn't. So, yeah, Berwick after Dumbarton, um, but you stopped your senior career in 1976 and you, you were still only 28. Was that injury or was it work? Right, it was, it was work. And Berwick was very, very good to me in that, uh, that regard. Um, the Dumbarton thing didn't work out. The travelling was a bit of an issue. But Harry Melrose, who was the manager of Berwick, had approached Dumbarton. Uh, with a view to signing me. Um, and Dumbarton agreed to let me go or transfer or whatever the, the negotiation was. Um, so it's like, you know, you're, you're no longer travelling to Dumbarton, but you're now having to travel to, to Berwick. But the plus point on that one was there was another three guys for Fife played with Berwick at the time. So we were able to travel over to Edinburgh by car 
meet up with the Edinburgh boys, get on the team bus and travel down from there. So it wasn't quite as onerous as it had been for me travelling on my own uh, to Dumbarton. So it was Harry Melrose that signed me for uh, Dumbarton. Harry was a very good player in his own day. Way back in the day, he played with Dunfermline. And he was a he was a really good good player. Um, the <laughs> financial side of things wasn't great. Harry was actually full time with, with Berwick. He had a full time job with him, which, are, looking back on it, was quite uh, quite astonishing. Um, but again, they, they were a good club. Um, and after two seasons, my work in the civil service was starting to change. And I'd taken on a job that was going to uh, require me to travel the length and breadth of the east of Scotland uh, on a regular basis. Um, and then sometimes down to England uh, for meetings uh, here and there. Um, so I, I went to the, and spoke to the chairman, first of all, and explained the situation. And I said, look, I know I'm, I'm only 28 years old. Um, but I said, I've got this job. I said, there's no way I can combine, you know, playing football, keeping fit, family life, marriage and all the rest of it, if I'm doing all this travel. I said, if you wouldn't mind, would you release me? I said, and you have my word, I will just go and play for my local junior team, which was Glen Office. And the chairman agreed and we shook hands and that was it. The next day, I get a phone call for Davy Clark. Hi, Peter. I believe you've <laughs> released my Berwick. How about coming back to the Fife? I says, Davy, didn't even think about it. I said, I've given my word to the chairman, Berwick, I will sign junior football. And I'm, I said, thanks for the offer. I much appreciate it, but it's a no. And uh, I signed for the Glens. And then that was me, 28, and I played junior till I was 40. Were you with the Glens the, the whole time for your juniors? No, just five years. I, I would have watched you then because my yeah. granddad, my, my first experience of watching football, my granddad took me to watch the Glens at War Out every Saturday. Uh -huh. They were at home. So that, uh -huh. would be in the, that would be probably probably 77, 78. I would have watched. Oh, see, I was saying, yeah, 76 I signed, I think it was. I must have watched you play. Yeah, you must know. have done. Oh. <laughs> Did, then. Here's, a, here's something that you might not know, Michael, or maybe our listeners don't know. You were actually a manager, a player manager in the, the junior ranks as well, I believe. That was my time at uh, Dundonald. And also Thornton Hibs. And at Thornton, right enough, I forgot about that. I was yep. probably more so at Thornton than, than Dundonald, although I did do a bit at Dundonald as well. <clears throat> um, but aye, uh, John Lane would have perhaps... Yep. Mentioned that in dispatches. Um, yeah. He's a, he's the, the stato for, for Thornton Hibs. And, uh, <laughs> he told me um, in no uncertain terms that he believed that if it wasn't for yourself, there might not be a Thornton Hibs today. That was his exact words. Well, I took on more than just the football side of things. Um, the, the 
play, the committee and all the rest of it was a shambles off the pitch. So that was the first thing um, we needed to, to tackle. And I brought in uh, a squad of guys that I knew personally uh, to get on the committee um, to actually restore some kind of financial order <laughs> apart from uh, yeah. apart from anything else. Um, I mean, the, the, the guys that were there were were decent guys that were trying to do the best they could, but um, it wasn't being run on a kind of professional level. So we, we had to get that sorted out first and foremost. Um, and then when we did, we actually, you know, started to make some some decent money and improve, you know, the, the, the players on the pitch. Um, and, yeah, we, we had a good side. And it was good that we had to like Sir John because he was a local guy. So playing with the amateurs, we had a friendly against them. And um, I said to, it might have been, well, my coach or whoever it was at the time, we need to get that laddie. We need him. He's a good, good player. Shouldn't be playing amateur. He was happy playing amateur. I said, and he's a local boy as well. And that's most important. And uh, I would say John was one of my best signings, actually. Oh, no, I'm not telling him that. <laughs> I was I, I visited him the other day. Well, and he, when he when I see his best best signing, it didn't cost me anything. <laughs> <laughs> ah, it's a bargain, and he's cheap as well, so you'll probably appreciate that. <laughs> uh, but anyway, that was just something that Michael wanted yeah. to know. And if you could cut out me saying that he was cheap on this, because he'll probably listen to this one. Um, <laughs> oh, I'll definitely be leaving that in. <laughs> That's not getting cut out, Lee. I'm sorry, <laughs> but. I've just got a few more things to, to ask Peter, and then Lee's going to ask Paul some stuff. Now, let, let's continue about money talks then. Because your, your last game for East Fife, Peter, was your testimonial stroke benefit match, it, it was called, against Wolves. And this, is a, this fascinates me for a number of reasons. One, Wolves was a, a big team to come up, but it, it was a... You had to share your payday with three other players, Clarkey, Davy Gorman, Walter Borthwick. How how did that happen? How did you not just get your own testimonial? How did you have to share it? We all signed the same year. We all signed in 1967. Right. So we were all due to have the testimonials back then, which were, were kind of every five years. But that was a courtesy of the club. There was nothing in your contract that said you will get... That okay. was what standard practice, if you like. And that's how it was. And coincidentally, we had all signed the same year. So therefore, um, we had to sort of split it uh, four ways. And I think the connection with Wolves was Bill Baxter. I spoke about Jim Baxter yeah, earlier, yeah, yeah. who was the chairman. His uh, <clears throat> brother, brother, yeah, I think his brother, was Bill. And Bill came in to manage his five yeah. uh, at that point in time. And he had played for Wolves. Bill Baxter was a very, very good player. And that was one of his clubs. And I think it was he who had arranged uh, that Wolves come up and uh, not only 
playing our testimonial, but I think they played in one or two other games in Scotland as a kind of a pre-season um, tour, if you like. I think that's how we ended up with it. Yeah, because the goalkeeper that day was Big Phil Parks for Wolves, who mm. won a soccer ball here in Vancouver in 1979. I, I got to speak ah. to him a couple of years ago when he came over. Lovely lad. Uh-huh. And I didn't know he'd played at Bayview. Otherwise, I'd have asked him about playing at Bayview. Ah, right. Which right. I, uh-huh. I was disappointed by. But like that game, what's your memories of that game? Because the, the main thing I can find about it, apart from it being nil-nil, is that you injured Kenny Hibbett and he had to get stretchered off. Yes. Now, me, to anybody who knew me as a player, I couldn't tackle a fish supper, right? So how that came about, it must have been accidental. Yes, I know he went down, um, but for the life of me, I think as he's gone down, he's twisted an ankle or something. You know, I've, I've, I've taken the ball, he's gone over, and he's injured himself when he went down. But but you're right, that, that was what happened. Um, but uh, yeah, Wills had a, a really good side then. The guys like McCallyog, he was a an international as well. They had a really, really good team. Um, and to get, what did you say, we drew with them? It was nil nil. Maybe a diplomatic nil nil. I don't know. It sounds awful like it, but uh, yeah, they 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 were a top top team, top team in England. The, I've got the programme for that game as well and it's a weird front cover because it's the four of you hanging off a floodlight for some reason. Right. It's, it's just like... <laughs> bizarre, a, isn't it? bizarre picture. Um, we Ricky Janetta was our uh, yeah, photographer at the time. So blame. I want to ask you about two managers. I on Wolves Peter Whitby being another similar coloured t- uh, shirt team to East Fife. I just thought you will never try to continue tradition. <laughs> I just want to ask you about uh, two managers. Uh, well, one manager that you played under and one that then became manager. So, Pat Quinn. Sadly, we lost Pat Quinn la- last year. He passed away. He was the man that took us up to the first division. Obviously, he, as you mentioned, he'd been a Scottish international. What was he like to play under? He was absolutely fantastic. He was... Obviously, much um, appreciated because of the player that he was and the ability that he had. Because he could do more talking on the pitch than he could in the dressing room. And he wasn't a guy for doing a lot of talking in the dressing room either. I remember we would come in and he never ever, you know, announced teams he just said, just go in, and if your jersey's on the peg, then you're playing. Because you all had your, your own numbers back then. So there was no team sheet. There's no, there, there's, here's the team today. Just go in there and be here, uh, you know, an hour to an hour and a half before kickoff and make sure that you're properly prepared. And on the football pitch, he is without a doubt the best player I've ever played alongside. Interesting. Now, you, you touched on Clarkey there. You played with him for your whole time at, at Bayview. Did you think he had what it took to be a manager when you were playing alongside of him? No. <laughs> um, I always thought 
And it would never have occurred to me that David would ever be a manager. I just didn't think he was that type of guy because he, he was always relatively quiet and just went about his business in a very uh, thorough way. Um, but many years later, when when he was uh, appointed manager, again, I used to be around the club at that time and I used to listen to his team talks. And I have to say, he was first class. He, he, he really surprised me as well. I, I just didn't think he, he would have it in him to um, put forward his ideas uh, in such a way that people would sit up and listen. Um, but they did. And he was a big disciplinarian as well. And he would, you know, lay in to players if, you know, they weren't pulling their weight or hadn't they done what they'd been told to do. Um, so it was a bit of a surprise to me that he, he turned out to be a, a very good manager. A very good manager. Yeah, right? very good indeed. Yeah, yeah. So let, let's let's move on to talking about your son now. I know you're really proud of the career that he's had. I mean, Kevin Bridges, he's a fantastic comedian. It's... <laughs> <laughs> the, the, uh, the likeness between the two of you, especially with that, uh, that football card, which I have upstairs, it's like, it's uncanny, that likeness. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would agree with you. Um, that, that's uh, brought a few smiles and a few laughs. Um, over a period of time and uh, I've still got the, the photograph of the Sun newspaper um, with oh, Bertie Miller was there as well of course um, he was kind of the second uh, De Niro. Robert, you know, he was Robert De Niro uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, who was Derek Johnson was he Benny for Crossroads or something like that oh he could have been yeah just was, somebody was Benny for Crossroads, which I didn't think was very complimentary at all. It, I, I thought that was awfully funny, though. I tried so hard yeah. to get him on the show, honestly. I, I emailed his management team, his production team. I tried everything to get him to come on to, to be on the show, but just I never got an answer for anybody. Um, <laughs> it's a shame because that would have been really funny. Oh, unless he's waiting in the chat just now. No, he's not, Dan. Okay. Let's talk about your real son then. Um, what, was, what was the advice, if any, that you gave to Paul when he wanted to become a footballer or when you knew that he could become a footballer? I think it was probably just to be disciplined, to apply yourself 100%, to have confidence in your, you know, your own ability um, and when things go wrong, don't, you know, get too down about it. Um, but it, it was about application and, you know, the talent side will take care of itself. You've got to be disciplined, you've got to work, train hard and um, be physically able and be up uh, for the challenge. So I think by and large, he, he was uh, throughout yeah, there was a period in time when um, things didn't go as well as uh, we would have wanted. But over the piece, um, and I'm talking about his his junior career as well, um, he's he was excellent, and he did everything I asked him to do or advised him to do. 
Now, Paul's been sitting very quietly during the, the last hour or so. We, we've not brought you in too much, but th- this is your time to shine now. How how tough was it going into the pro game when your dad's been in the pro game? Uh, listen, I, w- I wouldn't say it was tough to a certain extent. I, kn- I knew that the my dad had obviously played... The- my dad was an older dad. He was 40 when, when he had me. Was that be right, Dad? 39. So when I was coming into the game, I would say the only um, people that knew him would be the East Fife fans and nobody else. <laughs> I probably. <laughs> but, but no, jokes aside, um, my dad was a different player for me as well. He he was a left back. I was I was more... Left back in the dressing room. Aye, right much. <laughs> I, I was on the treatment table, but like it. <laughs> I was more of an attacking player. And yeah. Throughout, throughout my youth, I kind of played central midfield role, attacking. Um, so there wasn't that pressure of playing in the same position or anything like that. Do you know what I mean? Um, and I was a totally different player from what he'd explained to me that he was. Um and I do always remember you saying to me when I was growing up, you've got 10 times more talent than I ever did. Mm. Um, and for you to have the career that you've had and for me to have the career that I've had, it probably depicts the, the application that I, I brought to my game and the belief that I brought to my game. Because I was always one of these guys that I never really thought I was good enough. Whereas my dad hadn't listen to him yourself he's, you know, he's already said that he, he believed a lot in himself so that was one of my downfalls my, my belief in myself and my application to a certain extent Having known you for as long as I have Paul I've been given the, the pleasure to, to go through your career so <laughs> I say career you had a an injury career that was blighted by football um, you know a bit, a bit of the, the opposite way around Paul but started off at, at Dunfermline then a bit at Wraith. So I'm just appeasing you to these five fans before then going to the Worcester and all and going to Cowden. But <laughs> I mean, I remember you playing for Cowden because I think that's when I first met you because I think you were at Dundee Uni at the time and I used to speak to you on the bus. Yeah. And that's, that's how long ago that was. The same yeah. bus that I met my, my now wife on, by the way. Yeah, you is, did. I remember, I remember you used to sit next to her all the time, <laughs> did you? <laughs> I never knew this. We'll yeah. get to this story later on, Lee. <laughs> so, but what was always funny, and I'll admit this on the show, is my wife didn't know who Paul was. And she's like, how do you know Hot Guy? I said, what? I said, Aye, Hot Guy. <laughs> I said, oh, that's Paul McQuaid. He's a footballer. So no wonder it took me two years to get a date for him. <laughs> so, to, to be fair, Paul, it's like what, one of the guys that we have on the show, Doug Purry, did, did describe you as being very handsome. Maybe maybe, ten years, maybe 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so, fairly, fairly prolific at Cowden Beef. 24 goals in 68 games. That's not to be sniffed at. at, at did you, where, did, where did you get that, Phil? Wikipedia? Because Wikipedia is a load of nonsense, as you know. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> well, the, to be fair, trying to find stats on your game is pretty difficult. It just said calf injury, calf strain, hamstring Aye. injury. I'm 16. So, so that's me. Like no, like, <laughs> see, 
see, to be honest, I'd be lying if I knew. I think I got maybe six goals my first half season. And then maybe... I certainly got more than 26 if you It was neither in, in the mid-30s. Um, That's fine. I'll take your word for it. I'll take your word for it. Since I'm bigging so myself up there. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to. You've got to. So, I mean, you did pretty well at that and obviously worked under Danny Lennon. Um, I'm pretty sure you played alongside Gareth Wardlaw, who was pretty prolific at that time as well. So, I mean, Cowdenbeath did have a decent team at that time. Yeah. Obviously, Danny Lennon went from Cowden to St Mirren and that's how you got your move. But really, was there any other clubs? Because, I mean, goals at that at that sort of level aren't easy to come by. Was there any other clubs that sniffed around at that time? Um, at that time, so... I suppose the season that we got promoted to would it then have been the championship or the old first division? I know it's changed. Yeah. I think it had yeah. changed at that point. So we got promoted for the second division up to the first, if you like. Yeah. Um during that I think it was during that season I was meant to go on trial with Dundee United. Craig Levine had talked to Danny about taking me up for a couple of weeks trial. Um Needless to say, I got an injured just before the trial, <laughs> and I got put off, and then got myself back fit towards the end of the season, and I was meant to go up again, and got injured again. Do you know what? It was one of those saw the writing on the wall um, yeah. <laughs> with the way the career was going. But apart from that, I had a few lower leagues because I was out of contract when we got promoted, um, and. Stenhouse Muir was the major one, who at the time, I think, were one of the better teams. Were they? I think they were in the same league as us at the time, although they didn't get promoted. Yeah. But they had a lot of money, so I think they'd, uh, they did try to tempt me with, with a decent offer. But I, th- I think Danny going to St Mirren and him giving me the call to come, I, I didn't really think twice about it, to be honest with you. I wanted to... Having, been youth at Dunfermline and um, Wraith Rovers and not really made it. I, I kind of thought, right, this is my second chance and probably last chance at, at giving full time ago. Um, and like you said, Lee, we were at uni. I had finished my third year, so I got my degree as such, although I hadn't completed the, the four years. But I, I spoke to mum and dad and I thought, right, I need to give it a go. I was 23 at the time. Um, so yeah, I could have stayed part time, and I probably would have went to Stenhouse Muir. But they 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 would have come back full time and trying to you know prove to myself that I could do it. Um, that was something that I wanted to pursue. But I was thinking about Cowden Beef, and when I looked into your your time there, a name that the synonymous with with five fans and Brian Fairbairn was part of that team. Who, <laughs> you know, Brian was loved by his five fans. Maybe not so more so for his ability at times. Maybe more so for his character. Any stories of your your time playing with Brian? I've probably got too many. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't I don't know how many are. Uh... This show's are, enough, are, are decent enough for the show, but um, <clears throat> I actually got really close with Brian. Brian, I don't know why, sometimes in dressing rooms you click with guys and other guys you don't really, but 
Every, listen, Brian was one of those, uh, or Frankie, as everybody knows him. He was one of those boys that everybody loved. He was a bit of a prankster. And um, I got really close with him. And I, I socialised with him out with football. And I still keep in contact with him even to this day. Um, but uh, there's a few stories. What was the one? We were travelling away. It was, I think it was when we played in the third division. We were travelling away to Peterhead or Elgin or something like that. So it was the usual nine o'clock in the morning bus up to... Um, they asked Crack and Nowhere to get lunch in some crappy hotel before the game. And uh, Brian, Brian being Brian, <laughs> I can't do it without laughing. He, uh, he was like, oh, boys, it's a bit hot in here, is it? No. So he got all his clothes off at the back of the bus, stripped, literally bought naked. And bear in mind at the time, you had like chairmans and wives and all the committee at the front of the bus. So he's right down in the front of the bus, goes up to the driver, says, Go and put the heating down for fuck's sake, it's freezing. <laughs> it's um, so that was just the type of guy he was. He was a bit of a prankster. Well, speaking of pranksters, we need to talk about your Wikipedia page. And this is something I brought up on a, a much earlier show. It was a, a time that I tried to get you initially on the, the show, and for one reason or another, we couldn't. But it says on the 20, uh, June 2010, McQuaid joined St. Mirren on a two-year contract joining up with former manager Danny Lennon, to which Danny Lennon instantly regretted. Danny Lennon went on record to say that McQuaid ruined his life. Now, <laughs> we've spoken about this before. You want to tell me that it's a friend that, that, that's done this. What sort of friend would do that to you? That's, that's harsh, that. I would say it's one that's probably speaking the truth. <laughs> I think it's probably one that's on this show right now. Because <laughs> <laughs> he seems no, that... to mention it a lot. Like he's really I... proud of it. I uh, I actually spoke to Lee about about this before the <laughs> before the show here, and uh, I did. Well, I had two suspects, and I could never remember which one it is. One was Brian Fairbairn. Yeah. <laughs> and the other, the other was my mate from Leaving called Stevie Patterson. And I texted Stevie and I said, was this, was this you? Do you remember? He was like, oh, that was me. Why has nobody actually changed that? That was years ago. <laughs> I couldn't even tell you how to do it. And if I could, I would edit it for you. I genuinely would, but I, I have no idea. But look, let's... Let's get back to talking about what you were good at. Injuries were the story of your career. So Chocolate McQuaid was the, the nickname that was going around you at the time. Yep. You only managed to make six appearances at Stintnum. Does That must still stick in your crown a bit. It does. Um, like I'd said, said to you a few minutes ago, joining, joining the club was uh, what I saw as my second chance. But going full time and making a crack at it again, 23, not too old, but obviously getting to that point where if it didn't happen then, it was probably never going to happen again. So, I, uh, I pre season was pretty good for me. Like, I'd we went out to Ireland on a pre season trip and I was starting a lot and doing really well. Um, and then training again, doing really well really fit. I got myself in really good shape. And uh, we were playing Dundee United 
on the first game of the season that um, who's seen this man on the ground? Love Street. Uh, love Street, I think. Uh, love Street. New, nah, it's, what's it called now? <coughs> it's not New Love Street. Yeah, I think it's New Love Street. Is it? No, I don't so think I'm much happy with attention. <laughs> um, anyway, Paisley. I like to say Paisley. <laughs> Listen, we were playing Dundee United at home and Danny had actually named the team on the Friday training, just before the training session. He named the team, and I was I was in the starting lineup on I think it was the right of the three up front, and uh, we were doing a crossing and finishing exercise in the training session, and I um, I was running up the line to cross the ball. My, it was like somebody had shot me in the back of the calf, so my calf had went. I think I was out for about eight weeks, and it just it set the tone a wee bit for for my. I'll call it a career, but it just set the tone a wee bit in, in terms of my mentality and 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 how it was going to go for me. I think. Um, so yeah, it was really that was that was a, a bit of a gut wrencher because having heard you're starting your first senior game in the Premier League as a 23 year old, having dreamed about it as a youngster, thinking. Have a knockback after knockback when you were when you were eighteen, nineteen, twenty. Uh, it was it was a hard one to take, and uh, if I'm being honest, I never really recovered for that. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I remember I bumped into um, Kitties or wherever it was uh, drinking. It, it was always the same. I'd be like, "Oh, like, how, how are you getting on? How are you playing? Injured." Injured, injured, and and that and even when you went into East Fife, it was the same. And it just, you know, you were a good player. As much as I'll give you pelters, you, you were an excellent player. And you know, whether I watched you in the juniors or at East Fife or whatever, and it was just your dad said something earlier, which I actually wrote down to, to say to you was luck is massively important in football, and it was just something you just didn't seem to have. You know, I mean, I think your dad got your share of your luck when it came to yeah. staying fit. Um, so we'll, we'll move on from that because it's we do want to talk about positive stuff in your career. And your time at the Fife, I mean, you, you came into a great dressing room at East Fife. Um, and, and, you know, we've had a few of the lads on the show. But I want to talk to you about a guy who is one of my favourite managers at East Fife and John Robertson. So... You're, you're you're looking shiftily here. He did a good job with us. What was your experience at uh, uh, John Robertson? I, uh, <clears throat> my first game under Robbo was Falkirk in the, it was either, the, I think it was quarterfinal, the, I think it was Ramsden's Cup at the time or something like that. Yeah. Challenge yeah. Cup, that kind of. So we had a home game against Falkirk. And uh, I think I'd trained once, and I was starting, starting the game. Uh, so we arrived on the Saturday, and we're all in the dressing room. It's an hour and a half before the game, I, I think, roughly like an hour and 45. So an hour and a half. Juki's there, the assistant manager, or the other staff are there. Robo's nowhere to be seen. An hour before the game where the team normally gets named Robo still no there. So there's a bit of commotion at 45 minutes to go, right? What's it? And Juki's away on the phone trying to find out what the team is. 
Robo turned up about 20 minutes before the game. <laughs> wow. Yeah. A bit of a commute from Inverness, where I think he was living at the time. I think that's what ultimately caused him to leave us, but um, unless you want to tell us something else. <laughs> well, there were other rumours doing the rounds, but... It depends what, if you want the truth or no. <laughs> We're only here for the truth. We're only no, here I'd, I'd actually, I'd actually, uh, oh, he, he turned up and you could tell he'd been, uh, he'd had a good night, I would say that. Um, and I'd actually spoke to one of the guys, I think it was Jim Jim Goodwin. I don't know if that was a hot, I think it was a Sunday we were playing in. It was like a obviously the Saturday night, the night before. Mm. It was maybe a holiday weekend or something, but. He'd been spotted out in Glasgow in the early hours anyway. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the, the rumours are, are definitely true then. So apart from that, any stories from your, your time at the Fife then? I mean, guys like Bobby Lynn um, in that dressing room, the, the, the win up at Aberdeen, I know obviously you didn't manage to be part of that, but being around the club at that sort of time uh, with that running the cup must have been amazing to be part of as well. I mean, we had, a, to be honest, we underachieved that year, if I'm, if I'm be right. Did we miss out on the playoffs? Yeah. I mean, Robbo had us on a good start, but then he left. Uh, um, I think he left. Juki took over. It uh, didn't seem to click for whatever reason. Jesus, the squad we had. I mean, you had like guys like Stevie Hislop on the bench, couldn't get a game. And Darren McCormack came in and he couldn't really get a game. And he been playing in the Premier League with Hibs. Um, I, we just had a really good squad and it's hard to really judge. Like the squads that I've played with at Kevin Beath who had so much success, I would say talent-wise, the East Fife dressing room that I was in were just as good, if not better. Do you know? Yeah. Um, which again was probably one of the reasons when I thought, right, I'm going to, I'm going to sign with these guys. I did know half the team as well. Um, John Evanston is one of my good pals, and I knew Stevie Campbell. Um, yeah. Dev Muir was a Glenrothes boy. Yeah. But um, I boys like Bobby Lynn. I mean, it speaks for himself what he's done over the years, and I think he's still banging them in with both, is he? Uh, he's not getting as much a, a playing. You know, I think he's. I think Bobby would probably. Bobby will be. He was about three years older. I'm thirty-three now. What's he? Thirty-five, thirty-six. I want to say Bobby's 37. Is he? Nice. Um, but he's getting his testimonial at Adwolf this year. Right. Um, you know, he, he thoroughly deserves it. For, um, I mean, in terms of stories, I've, I've got, there's no, there's no too many Outworth Robo stories <laughs> for me. I'm not what I come on here and just talk about him. Do you know I, mean? <laughs> I don't know if you listen to Stevie Campbell's, but he um, he stuck the boot into one of our other former managers. So we're all former. Yeah. Don't, don't hold back. Did, did Stevie mention the dressing room bust up with Robo and Stevie Hislop? No, but go on. I think so, no. Oh. Nobody's mentioned that, so this is a, a G Dog exclusive. <laughs> it's either, it was either Stevie Hislop or John Ovenston. I can't remember, I'll be honest, but I know the two of them were, I wouldn't have liked to have been trouble at the time, do you know what I mean? Oh, it was, uh, I, got, I got a bit heated. Um, and every, every, everybody, I, everybody has to be pulled apart. Um, but Rob, Rob, classing Robbo was Robbo, obviously he, going into the club, I thought, God, he's, he's a legend, do you know what I mean? 
Hearts legend, cracking, cracking striker. Um, I was looking forward to working under him, but just um, I think that first day, my first impression of him wasn't wasn't a great one. I'm turning up twenty minutes before kickoff, and uh, there were certain things that happened throughout the season where um, things didn't really go go too well for him, and. Uh, it's just one of these things. Where he, listen, he's he's went on and and done well again with uh, Inverness. Is he still up there? No, he's well. He's, he's, he's issues at the moment. Sorry, I'm buttoning in here, but that's all right. Has he not got personal issues at the moment? He's taking a sabbatical. Yes, yes, he is. Because I they didn't go into details. They just said uh, he was taking some time off for personal stuff. I think yeah. it's a bereavement. I, I, I took it to be that, but... I'm sure it was a bereavement. So there, I think it's yes, it. yes. The family, there is a family bereavement as, as also. Yeah, but um, they've, they've got uh, young McCannon to yeah. take charge for, for the moment. Right. Yeah. So Okay, can I just um, digress uh, just now? Um, we were... No, <laughs> this is my bit, Dad. <laughs> We're talking about um, Paul and signing for St Mirren, and I remember I went through uh, that day with him. And uh, I don't know if any of you have been to New Love Street or not, but it's a lovely ground, beautiful uh, place, and you you walk in this hallway again, a lovely staircase, and I'm walking up the staircase and I, I just happened to glance up at a big, big photograph, a team photograph, and I'm looking at it, Scottish Cup winners, 19, circa, must have been 70, 71. And it was the very last Scottish Cup tie to go to three games. And it was against these five. It was against us. I remember looking at it and thinking, yeah, I remember that. We drew 1-1 at Bayview. We went through to Love Street and drew 1-1 there. And then you had, back then you had to toss a coin to see whether you were going to play the third third game. And they won it. And they beat us 2-0. And it was Archie Knox scored both those goals. And that team photograph is on that stairwell uh, at St Mern's new ground. Yeah. Well, I would have to take that definitely not a statel. Definitely by the fan, not a statel. But there you go. At least there was a wee bit of his Fife link before you went up to the, the senior game. Yes. Uh, one of the other things that I wanted, when I was speaking to you before, I was like, you got any stories? And you just said two words. And I think everybody that we've spoken to that's played the game have mentioned these two words. Dick Campbell. <laughs> Dick Campbell. I, uh, so when I was at St Mirren, I'd had my injury problems. <clears throat> and Danny brought me in, I think it was about March, towards the end of the season, and said, uh, Forfer, well, Dick's been on the phone. Dick was the manager at Forfer at the time. He's wanting to get you up on loan because they were pushing for playoff spots and, and promotion for the second division at the time. 
and I was like, you know what? I'm not really getting much of a sniff here. I need to get some game time. Go for it. So um, joined them on a three-month loan, I think it was. And at the time, I think Dick was having a bit of health problems. He, he had cancer, <laughs> scares and <laughs> stuff like that. So he's, uh, when I joined, his brother, uh, Pink, what's Pink's first name? Ian. Ian, yeah. he, he was taking the reins and he he, he was in charge of the, the first game I was involved in and the second. Now, we did get beat both the games. However, I'd scored two goals, one in each, and played really well. But it doesn't really matter, we got beat. Uh, <laughs> so I was quite happy personally, having went through a bit of um, three quarters of the season, no doing great in terms of injuries, I felt backed a bit of my old self um, so I was feeling quite confident going into the third game um, in terms of my own performance and it was a home game I don't know who it was against and uh, we were all sitting in the dressing room and uh, Pink comes in Ian comes in and says the gaffers want to see you in the office because Dick was feeling a bit better by this point so when I went now has any you spoke to Dick Campbell before and do you know what what he's like? No. Well, you no. Can't really... no, I've just seen him on TV. <laughs> so you know what he's like. So I said, hiya, Gaff. I went in and said, Gaffer, how you doing? He said, oh, is it McQuaid, is it? I said, aye, it is, aye. He said, you're cunt. Two games, two fucking defeats. Some fucking sign and you were out my fucking office. <laughs> <laughs> So off I trotted back to the back to the dressing room with the tail between the legs. <laughs> Brilliant. No matter who we've had on, anybody that's been around this level, Paul McManus, Johnny Smart, Bobby Lynn, right. all seem to have a, a Dick Campbell story. And it is, do you want to know what? I love him. And I actually said it on Twitter during the week that he was always sort of like the manager that got away from us. He was somebody I'd always like to see manage us, but... Um, it's just never happened for, for one reason or another. So, East Fife were your last senior club before going back to the juniors. And, you know, the, again, I think it was maybe even at a wedding we were speaking and you were you were just retiring just due to injury problems. That must have been really frustrating. And was it just getting in the way of what you would want to do sort of professionally outside of football? Or was it just, you want to know what the, the mental toll that the, the injuries have taken on you more than anything, like it's not worth it anymore. Yeah, I mean, we've obviously spoken a bit about this over probably a few too many times <laughs> in the past. But I think, I think for uh, for me, it came to a point where I dropped. Like I'd said earlier, Gordon Jury had given me the opportunity to come back pre-season, although there was no contract there, which is fair enough. Um, but I did. I did know they were signing Gareth Wardlaw. Paul McManus was coming by. Um, so in my head, I was like, I'm not going to get a chance here anyway, so what's the point? Which was totally the wrong mindset to have in terms of what I could probably produce as a, a football player, do you know what I mean? But my mindset was just totally wrong. And I thought, if I go back junior, get get myself playing some games again, um, I'll maybe... Come, come back up, but it just it, it snowballed a bit out of control in terms of getting injured again, 
and 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 going further back down the levels, I found it more difficult mentally to recover in terms of motivating myself to get fitter again. Yeah, I just thought mobility will get me there no matter what. Fair, whereas what my dad was saying earlier about being that, being dedicated and um, being applicated properly. Uh, just in my head, it was totally out the window. And um, I, I signed with St Andrews. I left there. I then signed with Dundonald for nothing. Like the, I, I didn't even want any money. I just wanted to try and play football. Yeah. Back to Dundonald. And again, I, bits and bobs. wasn't didn't really set the heather on fire. And then ended up at Broxburn, which was my last club when I was 28, which would have been the same time as you went. Mm-hmm. Retired from senior from senior football, mm-hmm. so that was five, my five six years ago, which is a bit of a shame. I always look back and think, I wish it couldn't could have been different. But at the time when I made the decision to stop playing, I remember getting myself into a, a really good physical condition, and like I, I think my groin went hitting a sh- like hitting a shot in training. Yeah. And I thought, oh, it's, it's no worth it. Because I was just going, not, not insane, but my, med, my mentality was just totally shot. Like I was, my confidence was gone and it was just affecting everything around my life. Like I was just miserable generally. Um, so I just thought if I take my well, myself away from the situation in terms of football, um, have a bit of time off reassess it in maybe six months a year if I fancy coming back I'll try it and uh, still not really happened I, I did think about it Jason Deere tried to get me back to Dundonald a few years ago but again I was playing five sides and I kept getting injured do you know what I mean yeah I, mean, I could I could go out for a run just a jog and my calf would go that's how bad it is at the minute mm. um, so it's just it's a bit of a hiding to nothing just now I think I said at one point to Paul as well, I said, the crucial question here is, when all this was going on, did you actually miss it? And he said to me, no. No, I didn't. I yeah. said, well, well that, that's, the, that's the key thing. That's it. Just walk away, give thanks for what you've had, and get on with your life. And I can tell you, he's got on with his life. And the a thing big, is... big way... He's now happy with a partner that he's got. He's now a dad for the second time, but a dad with with Rose, who's just been born. He's got a great job, and he's well-respected in his industry, and he's well sought after (laughs) in his industry as well. So there's more to life than football, and he has grasped his life and he's making the best of it that he possibly can not only for himself but for his partner and for his wee girl as well and for his son and also you've got to think of your your later health as well because you don't want to do something to your body now that in 10 Mm. 15 20 Uh, years you're going to really regret Yeah, I mean, just reminding about when I was at St Mirren, the physio at the time, was, I kept getting these hamstrings and calves, and he's like, something not right, it's not just, 
you're not pulling these all the time. This isn't just muscle injuries. So I actually went for a, was a CAT scan or an scan of some sort. I was a scan on my back. And I had um, arthritis and degre- degradation in my lower back. So they came to the conclusion that it was affecting the nerves in my, my legs, which obviously down the back of your hamstrings and your calves. So I've obviously had that issue from 2011, um, prob- probably earlier, actually. When I was at I mean, Cowdenbeath, I did get my injuries as well. Um, so, yeah, it's just, it's just been one of those. Well, I think the question that I need to, to, to round this off, right, is, is we see your dad, obviously, when there's not a global pandemic down at Bayview every now and then. <laughs> I've even seen him there with your boy. Um, so that must have been a proud moment for you, Peter, taking Jack down to, to Bayview too. But will that be a, a place that you would see yourself going to watch football down the line? Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. I, I mean, I'll, I'll definitely be there every home game. I'll, I'll be at every single home game. Yeah, definitely. I'll promise you. Yeah, I'm the same. I'll... I'll probably try and start going more if I, I mean I work away a lot so if I manage to set up shop job wise back home more permanently then it's something that I think well, I'd, I'd probably like to well. share with my dad and even even the laddie Tay Jacks I love him down he really mm-hmm. likes his football mm-hmm. at the minute. Um he's he's quite into it. He's not that great, is he? But no, it <laughs> but, <laughs> he yeah, enjoys it. He doesn't he enjoys it. So it was something we, we had him at the the Wraith Rovers uh, East Five game last Christmas time. It was two. I think the game was two two. These boys played. I think it was a cracking game. It was back and forward. Mm-hmm. So he really enjoyed that. And because we were on the way end, obviously at Starts Park, it was quite mm-hmm. mouthy, mouthy. <laughs> <laughs> what, are they, what are they all shouting back at them? I just come here. Well, the reason I ask is hopefully I will see you down once this is finished. They'll be able to buy you both a pint and say thank you so much for, for coming on and joining us. Probably do you a, a long time pint by now, Paul, anyway. All right, sure. I've got two questions to ask you both, um, and I don't know if you've had the, the time to, to prepare your 11s. I did mention that to you, Paul. Oh, good lad, good lad. But finally, Peter, I know that you were you were into collecting your memorabilia, but when I spoke to John, he was saying that you'd had a fire. Yes. Um, did you did you lose everything that you'd had memorabilia wise in that? Well, I was fortunate that the club um, Stephen Mill yeah. stepped in, and he got so many programs for me. I had to go down with the case to load them up, put them in the back of my car, and I've got a load, an absolute load of programs and supporters who came forward and handed in programmes, it was phenomenal. Good. Phenomenal. So I've got all those memories uh, still with me in the the programmes. They're up in the loft, but that's that's neither here nor there. So I I was really, really lucky in in that regard. Um, So as regards the fire, that that was fine. That was all uh, replaced and more, actually. Mm -hmm. Good. And, and one thing that we, we do want to say to you is, is, is that probably echoes more than anything how well thought of you are by East Fife fans and 
you know, you are richly adored by the the generation above us. Um, certainly for, for what an excellent player you are. I know that my dad speaks really highly of you as well from when he watched East Fife as well. So I think that you need to, don't ever forget that. I always remember your AFDN uh, handle was an East Fife legend and, and don't ever lose sight of that. Uh, how well loved you are down at Bayview. Yeah, you were named uh, in a lot of fans all-time 11s as well as like their favourite ever left-back and stuff. So, Thank you very much. And there's been a lot of people been asking for this interview for a long time, so we'll be sure that it'll be a good one. Um, good. So we're going to go on now to your all-time 11s. So, Paul, you, you look like you're the man with the pen and paper on you, go, sir. What are we doing? Best 11 with? Played Start with? Yeah. Right, so goalkeeper, I went Paul Gallagher. Played, played with him at St Martin. He's obviously... Cut with Scotland, played down in England and Norwich, and that was a bit of a no-brainer. Right back, uh, Beaky, Mark Baxter, who played with me at Cowden Beath, played with our growth for, for um he's actually in my against as well. That's how good team is. <laughs> uh, two centre half, Lee Mayor, Darren McGregor. Yeah. Now left back was a bit of an issue for me. I've got three. <laughs> <laughs> right, and you'll be glad to know there's two of them. Five. I've tried to do like a five East Five mix. With, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I've got Scott Linton. Yeah. Story. Yeah. Or Kenny Adamson. He was with me at Cowdenbeath as well. The Scott I played with at Cowdenbeath as well. I know he played with you guys. If I was to have a gun to my head, I'd probably go with Scott. Yeah. What a free kick taker as well. I mean, he just both feet. If you just find it, yeah, I used to love probably used to, probably Scott because I used to love playing with him more because he just find a pass for you. Do you know what I mean? He, either in your feet or in behind, he could just ping a ball forty yards, no problem. Left or right foot. Um, I'm going with a diamond in midfield, Bobby Lynn. Yeah, no brainer. Gary Brady, sitting midfielder, played with Saint Martin, but Gary played down in England with Newcastle and Spurs and. His, his brother Darren played with Rafe Roberts with me. All right, yeah. I played a lot, a lot in the reserves with Gary Brady at St. Martin for obvious reasons. <laughs> <laughs> Gary was one of these guys who, he was coming to the, I think he was coming to the end of his career, to be fair, and he'd played, the season before I joined, he'd played quite a lot. But he's one of these looked lazy players, but could keep the ball for fun. But Danny was all about the work rate and, Pressing and Gary just didn't fit into that. So, plus he used to pass him on the motorway driving to the, the ground and he had a flag out the window. Kind of was... <laughs> <laughs> so, we've got him in midfield with Kenny McLean. Kenny was, he's obviously a Scotland internationalist just now. He was a young boy coming through at St. Martin when I was there. He was just kind of breaking into the team when I was in. Yeah. The best engine I've ever seen in my life. Like, that's anybody. Could run for days. The fourth midfielder in there is Aaron Moy. Yeah, wow. Is he at, uh, on, at loan at St. Mary at that point? No, he signed permanently with St. Martin and could not get a game. And I played pretty much every week in the reserves run. Again, he was one of those that Danny just didn't fancy. <coughs> yeah, for whatever. Yeah. And I always said, what did I say to you? I was like, this guy is the best player I've ever seen mm. in my life. Like in person, left foot, right foot, so much ability. And I think he went 
he got released for St. Martin. I know he, he played a few times, but he didn't really break into the team under Danny. He, he went back to Australia, played a few seasons there, got his move back to England. Yeah. I think he was yeah. playing in Melbourne City, who are Manchester City's sister, yeah. probably. Oh, yeah. Got a move back to Man City. They sold him for £10 million to Huddersfield. Yeah. And then he's played with Brighton. And he was out in China, probably earning <laughs> fortunes. Mm. Well, a great player. And he was a quiet guy as well. He, he just kept this out of himself. Um, I wonder if he's somewhere in China naming Paul McQuaid in his best Elena. I would doubt it. I would doubt it. Right, <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, so two strikers, Gareth Wardlaw, who's played with you guys. But yeah. I, me and Gareth had a great partnership for a you couple of years. You don't understand. You know what I mean? Um, he was another one that was unlucky at us. Was he? Uh, he was another one. He was a great player as well, but he never, he never really got going for us. No. Um, and then alongside him, I've got my big pal Martin Grehan. Yeah, the Greek. Yeah, Martin Grehan. Well, I played. I only played with him junior at Dundonald. I don't know if you know. So me and him played up front at Dundonald together. We had Mark Ramsey, Mini in midfield, Stoney yeah. at left back. Yes, in that team. There's no one mm. more. I've so signed we, them all. The Greek just wanted, he just wanted to play I said, oh, you've got to move out here, comfort zone. You've got to go and prove yourself. Well, after one year at Dundonald with me, Motherwell I was signed up. A couple, two. A couple, two. Yeah. And he went to Motherwell. And I'm yeah. like, arrest my case. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. What a player. Unbelievable. A senior appearance. Um, but I mean, he, he played against us last season for BSC Glasgow. Where I think he's still there. Yeah. He's, he's a coach. He's a coach. Player coach at the moment. What a player, by the way. And I mean, oh, 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 oh. Right. I mean, I think between him and Sean Simpson, another great player. Well, Sean e, again, another one. Right? Um, I, I watched them most Saturdays at a young age with the kettle because my. Pal's dad played the kettle, and I think they must have scored something like 50 goals each at amateur mm-hmm. level mm-hmm. in a season. It was ridiculous. Uh, uh, uh. For Eastside fans that don't know Greek, what, what an outstanding talent he was, and he could have definitely played more for us. I think when we had an under-19s at that time, both Sean Simpson and the Greek were at us, um, and I don't think that they got much of a kick of the ball. But anyway, we'll go to your best 11 against. So I went for... Big Duff, David Hay, who I played with as well at Cowdenbeath, but I also played against him. I was really struggling for goalkeepers against, but I don't know why. Because I scored that many against him, you know. <laughs> but uh, I actually played against him when we went back junior. He was playing with Bonnie Rink when I was at Broxburn. Um, right back, Mark Baxter, again, Beaky. 
because he played with a roof when uh, anyway I'll, play, I'll play it against them centre halves this one might shock you Russell Martin right so I played against do you know who that obviously that is right. yeah. so he's, he's played with Rangers last, he's, he's the manager at MK Dons now I think He's, uh, he's been able to play for Norwich as well. Ah, yeah, he had a, he had a really good career in Norwich. I think he worked his way up through the leagues down south, yeah. and then had a good spell in the Premier League with them. But I actually played against him against England schoolboys under eighteen. Cracking player, cracking player. Uh, next to him, I've went. I couldn't miss him out. Big, uh, big Ovi. Yeah. <laughs> my big mate. My big he's mate. I used to like playing against him, but um, I would say he, he would probably say the same. He'd give me a few kickings. <laughs> um, so, moving, going back to the best 11s with, so I've, I went with Scott, so I'm going to move Kenny Adamson over to the left back against, because I played right. against Kenny against as well. Um, into midfield, Hassan Kashlul. No, South no, no, no. Used to play with Southampton back in the day. Do you know, remember him? I was playing with Rafe Rovers in a reserve game, and he was at Livingston at the time. Big, he's about six foot three, just rapid, unbelievable. Um, in the midfield with him, Aidan McGeady. Yeah, cracking player. Most yeah. no talented player I've ever like seen or played against. It's just ridiculous what he could do. Um. Alan Smith used to play with Leeds in Manchester United. So it's St. Mirren, we went down to Newcastle to play like a friendly. Yeah. And he was involved in that. So I couldn't really miss him out. Um, oh. In there as well, Ryan Jack. Yeah. Played played I probably played about half an hour against him um, when he was playing with Aberdeen and he just, he just strolled it. I think he was only 18 at the time. Yeah. Um, up front, Andy Barraman. Yeah, good player. Well. When I was at Cowan Beath through that kind of time, Ross County were a cracking, tight, cracking team and yeah. he was just a, a goal machine and a really good player. I think he would moved to Dunfermline. I don't think it really worked out, but he was a great player. Um, and then Callum Higginbotham, who you'll know. Yeah. He, he should have played at a higher level, I think. Yeah, and that's two two good teams, Paul. Two good teams, and I'm glad that you brought up uh, the Greek because again, he's a, a player that I really really liked, and yeah, you should be definitely proud of them. What about yourself, Peter? Did you do your, your research? I did indeed. I'll just read the names out to you. Best I played with. Yeah, and you go straight forward. There are five players. Correct. <laughs> David Goldman, Dave yeah. Clark. Robert Cairns, John Martis, Walter Bothwick, Bertie Miller, Pat Quinn, Joe Hughes, Graham Honeyman, Billy McPhee. Full stop. Well, I tell you what, you're just rattling off my dad's favourite East Fife team all the time, to be honest. And every, every name he said, I'm like, yep, dad liked him, yep, dad liked him, yep, dad liked him, so that makes sense. <laughs> you're against... The Girvan Lighthouse. These are going to probably be names that are, are before Played my time. Played for Rangers. I don't know that either. 
Peter McCloy. Oh, I know. I've heard of Peter McCloy. I didn't know he was called the Girvan Lighthouse. Girvan Lighthouse. John Brownlee, Hibbs. Mm. Yeah. Ian Monroe, St. Mun. Martin Buchan, Aberdeen. Oh. Gordon McQueen, 17-year-old, yeah. St. Mun. Yeah. Ian Porterfield, Sunderland. Right. Bobby McKean, St. Mun. George Conley, Celtic. Joe Harper, Aberdeen. Pat Quinn, East yeah. Fife. Bobby Lennox, Celtic. Well, that's definitely one for the, the older generation who will probably appreciate uh, that perhaps more than, yeah, because me and Paul are the exact same. Although Paul's got uh, hair to run his fingers through. <laughs> so it does go right over yeah, my head. Must have heard of most of them. A lot of them went on to have big managerial careers as well. Listen, I've heard of a few. I think, I mean, Gordon McQueen is a Manchester United fan and obviously a uh, big Scotland legend. And Martin uh, Buchan. Uh, Martin Buchan was one, no, that was uh, that escaped me, I'm afraid. I'll be, I'm he just played be for Man United as well. He went for Aberdeen to Man United, that's right. Call yourself a Man United fan, Lee. <laughs> Scottish International. Was that the World Cup in Scotland 78? as well? That's right. Uh, it was 11 years before I was born, Michael. Give me a chance. I was 10. Uh, exactly. You were 10. But the last time I was at the World Cup, uh, Scotland went at the World Cup, I was nine. So just <laughs> get back in your box here. Uh, before Michael and I get on a full blown domestic gents, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on board for the, the show. Um, Paul, nice to see you. Uh, not seen you in, in such a long time. So it's good to see you looking healthy and congratulations. Um, on the, the bar for the wee one and Peter the next time I see you out and about I'll be sure to stop you the last time I seen you I was on the way to get medicine for my daughter up at Pachuca and I, I stopped you and said hello you had no idea who I was but I couldn't <laughs> oh, oh now I remember I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm going who is that yeah. <laughs> now I yeah, do you know why yeah so I wasn't letting you go past I was like oh, it's Peter McQuaid I can't even say hello eh? so, <laughs> the next time I see you I'll be I'll be good man sure good man please do in. Hopefully it's at Bayview and I could buy you both a pint. Yeah, I'll echo that as well. It's like I hope to get over in December. Hopefully there's fans and games and then mm. if I see you there, I'll buy you both a pint as well. Definitely. Cheers. Thanks so much, Jensen. Keep okay, in touch. Thank you. Cheers, guys. Okay, thanks so much, guys. Good night. Some great stuff there. Peter and Paul McQuaid, Peter Paul and Mary from Methyl Hill. Maybe that's what we'll call this episode. Thoroughly enjoyed that chat, Lee. Yes, I thoroughly enjoyed that chat too. Um, it was really, really good. That uh, You'll probably notice the inflection in Michael and I's tone. My wife, who listens to the show, says, you know that after every chat you say you thoroughly enjoyed that? Do you maybe want to try a different word? No. No. Because I did thoroughly enjoy that. It, it was yeah. great. I, I love, I've said this before in the show, I love speaking to to players from the older eras. And especially if it's an era that I wasn't there and part of and didn't see, just doing the research for it, it just it gets me all excited. And then just hearing the stories and some stuff that you've maybe just read about, like the, the whole television thing. We, we, we 
heard before about Jim Baxter, the television things. It's a thing that went down in Bayview folklore. But to hear somebody that's actually been involved in it and then yeah. just how he had to, he then sold the telly and then had to go and get it out. That must have been just so embarrassing to have yeah. to then go and do that. But, but not only that, but I, I want to give kudos to Paul as well. Like, and yeah. you, you really heard in the interview that Paul and I have known each other for a long time. And, um, you know, the great sport as well, with everything my fair bit. But just his brutal honesty about how his mental state was at the time, all the injuries. And you want to know what? He's, he's a great guy, Paul. A, a really, really good guy. And, and we need to thank him too, because if it wasn't for him, obviously, with his technical um, help, with helping his dad get on the show, it wouldn't have been. Um, something we could have done so um big big thanks to, to paul as well i i know we were like like joking around with him and stuff but it must have been so tough you've got that talent it's like it's talent both you and me would love to have had and being yeah. footballers and you've got that talent and then injuries has just taken away your chance to do it we've had a couple of young lads here in vancouver in recent years that's just never been able to get over their injuries and then they they go to a different team and then they get injured again and there's a young lad I've I've known since he was like 13 14 that's having that issue and he's just joined another new team and fingers crossed this time he, he's going to be able to to keep going but I I thought the the admiration that they both have for each other really shone through yeah and Peter McQuaid is a name that when I I've like looked in these five history and stuff it's come up lots of of listeners had mentioned him before and stuff as well as being in their all-time 11s and that that era that Pete played in as we touched on there when you think 73-74 that's the last time East Fife were in the top flight that was before the Scottish Premier League started in the mid-70s it's just crazy to think that this once massive club that's won a Scottish Cup, won three League Cups, was in the top flight after the, the war, produced all these strings of players, Scottish internationals. For that big a gap, and apart from the Dave Clark era, where we just pushed and just missed out in promotion a couple of times to the Premier, we've never come anywhere close to being back in the top flight. I don't know if we ever will. Never say never. And I don't want us to ever be unambitious. You know, you, you never know what might happen. I might oh, yeah. In- investments, you yeah. You, know, you never know. I mean, who would have thought Leicester would have won the Premier League? Who would have, you know, thought that Bournemouth could have gone from the bottom of the leagues in England right up to the Premier League? You know, never say never. Never say never. I actually tweeted Gary Neville today to, to see if he would maybe buy his Fife because he was doing a Q&A on Twitter. Oh, did he answer? No, did he fuck. Um, <laughs> but I was like, you bought a software. What about buying a little team in Scotland called East Fife? But he never got back to me. I'll ask his so, brother Phil when I get on a call with him at some point. Yeah, just to say, look, Phil, be sound. Um, and speak speak to your brother. Speak to your more talented brother. Yeah. Uh, by the way, speaking of, uh, a bit about MLS, I know that we've got some some listeners over in Canada and, and they like the MLS as well. I've seen this absolutely outstanding meme about the conversation that Ryan Shawcross was going to have had with his wife when he found out that um, Inter Miami were interested. And it's a bit like, you know, right, love, I've, I've, I've had an offer from another team and we're going to be moving. Oh, but Ryan, you know, we've got the kids here and we've lived in Stoke for over 10 years. Don't really want to be going anywhere else. 
all right, I'll, I'll tell Miami we're not interested in. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 wait, 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 wait. <laughs> I mean, that, that was, when he picked up the phone and it was filled out, like, oh, do you want to come to Miami? He probably went, piss off and put the phone down. <laughs> well, like, they, they, they just opened their training camp this week and the first day of training, Beckham was there and he took part in the training. So all those guys are getting a chance to play alongside Beckham and then Neville's there as well and stuff. It's just like... Insanity. Crazy but stuff. It's beautiful. And I also really like that Lanta one that they... Um, yeah, with the five little... Red... I love a black kit, which is folk were tweeting at me, oh, you do love a black kit? It's like, I do love a black kit. I do go on about that. And my love of a black kit quite a bit on our, on our show over here. Um, but the, just quickly talking about MLS then, I, this isn't really a rumour. It's a rumour that someone is trying to start because we're in the market for a number 10. We've been looking at some number 10s that are in Portugal and the ones that we've wanted have fallen through. One has stayed in Portugal, one's gone to Serie A. So folks started to throw out the name Ryan Gold as a possibility to, to come to the Whitecaps. I'm keeping my fingers crossed for that because I wouldn't mind another Scottish guy here. He's in an absolute rich vein of form for Ferenci just now, so I can't see that happening. Well, no, because it looks like sporting and stuff like that are interested in him, which is why we lost one of the other guys, because it's like, <laughs> why would you come to Vancouver when you can either go to Serie A or go and play for one of the, the top teams in Portugal? Exactly. Yes. But apart from um, from that, the, I mean, we've had a, an actually a, a full mailbag the last couple of weeks, but because of the, the length of the conversations that we had with Pete and Paul, we're, we're going to keep that in the bucket um, for the, the week coming up. But I mean, the TARDIS football travel stuff, we've had more of them through, which is amazing. The cafe table meme went down an absolute storm. Um, that was something that I actually did when I was lying in my hospital bed <laughs> and I was just like I wonder what these five versions of this would look like so that, that gave me great entertainment on one of the days I was in there so so thank you to, to all of you who got involved in that too and of course let us know if you've got any other suggestions and um, we've had something come through from Eric Brown in the, the mailbag whilst I've been doing this tonight I've not had a chance to read that yet um, but yeah of course at any time you've got anything you want to contribute to the show just drop us an email glorydaysofgold at gmail.com and yeah we will bring you that mailbag next week also our artist of the month we were going to bring you a new one but because we don't want to finish with two songs in the show we'll keep our artist of the month for next week as well so we'll we'll announce who that is on next week's show but we always have time for this week's wavelength i always make sure of that that's the the perks of editing the show but I, i'm doing a, a song that kind of ties in with some of the stuff that we talked to, to Peter McQuaid about there. Now, his testimonial was against Wolverhampton Wanderers. And I've, I've gone for a bit of an unusual song, mainly in that it is not punk. What? And I know. What? I, I've gone for Billy Bragg this week. Okay. Yeah, so the song I've gone with is from 1991, Billy Bragg from his album Don't Try This at Home and it's a song called God's Footballer about a striker called Peter Knowles brother of Cyril Knowles who's a, a name that people of a certain age may remember and he signed for Wolves in 1962 scored 61 goals and 174 appearances for Wolves from 1962 to 1970 
earned some under-23 caps for England, was tipped to possibly go on and actually play for the, the first team, the senior team for, for England. But then in 1970, just out of the blue, he gave the game up. He became a Jehovah's Witness, found God, gave the game up and never kicked a football again, or at least not professionally. Wolves thought he was a great prospect, a great player. They wanted him to come back. And they actually kept his contract open for him until 1982. It was a rolling contract. It was there if he ever wanted to come back. He never did. And then 1982, they basically said, look, he's not coming back. And and then they stopped doing it. It's just a an absolutely remarkable story. Did they keep paying him? I don't think so. I think it was a, a contract that he could just come and... like It was like a no no salary contract but if he came back they would start paying him otherwise that was a great contract i would i would take that yeah <laughs> but anyway this is this week's wavelength billy bragg and god's footballer god's footballer Here's the voices of angels above The choir of Molyneux God's footballer Stands on the doorstep And brings the good news Of the kingdom to come While the crowd sing Rock of ages And the gods bring Weekly wages Yet the glory Pages is but the worship of false idols and tempts him not. God's footballer turns on a sixpence and brings the great crowd to their feet in praise of him. God's footballer quotes. From the Gospels while knocking on doors In the black country back streets He scores goals on a Saturday And saves souls on a Sunday For the Lord says These are the last days Prepare thyself for the judgment Yet to come
Billy Bragg there, God's footballer, a nice pleasant way to round off this week's show. And that is it for this week's show. It's another packed one. It's a busy one. Hope you've enjoyed our chat with Peter and Paul McQuaid. I know we certainly did. Just before we go, Lee, let everyone know where they can find you online. As always, you can find me online on uh, Facebook, Lee Gillis, or Twitter, um, LeeG1903. Um, for those of you that follow Bob Burney um, House Hotel on Facebook, you'll be able to see a, a nice little video of my, my daughter, which is, is she's now the, the face of Bob Burney Hotel and their recent advertising campaign. So go and check that out because we're really, really proud of it. And she, she's done us very, very proud in that. Um, apart from that, of course, um, the Glory Days um, social media too. Facebook, Glory Days of Gold. There doesn't seem to be as much interaction on Facebook as we have, of course, on Twitter. So you can probably get us more likely there at Glory Days of Gold. And you can give me a follow on Twitter at AFT in Canada. If you want to get in touch by email, AFT in Canada at hotmail.com is probably the best one that I'll reply to. But you can also do AFTN at hotmail.co.uk. We've got two Twitter accounts at AFTN Canada, AFTN website, and two websites, AFTN.co.uk for all your East Fife stuff, and AFTN.ca for your Whitecaps and North American stuff. If you listen to the AFTN soccer show that comes out this weekend, I was on with my, my buddy Johnny Russell. Had a little chat with him, so we're going to have a little bit of audio from Johnny on the show. And we're going to actually speak to Johnny on Glory Days of Gold later on in the MLS season as well. Uh, maybe not ask him about his Wraith Rover stuff. No, no, great, great player, Scotland international, and hopefully, you know, it might even be my chance in the Euros, you know. Yeah, that was one of the, the things he, he was talking about. He still wants to be. Um, he knows it's just very difficult just now with quarantine and stuff, because it's right in the middle of the MLS season. But he wants to be a part of it. Right in the middle of the MLS season as well, when the Euros are on, the Gold Cup is on, which is America and Canada's going to be in that. It's like... CONCACAF's version of the Euros so loads of teams are losing players and I'm pretty sure Kansas City's not going to want to lose their designated player to, to be in the Euros but they can't stop him so fingers crossed he gets called up for that. But that is it for this week's show, we'll be back soon, we hope you've enjoyed it, till next time, take care, stay safe and mon the fife. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life.